So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. Welcome back to Drink in the Movies with Michael. And Taylor. On deck this week, we're talking about uh, global cinema. I finally tricked you into it. We're going to be doing The Meg, Crazy Rich Asians, Armageddon, which was the highest grossing film worldwide in 1998, and the current highest grossing film worldwide right now in 2018, Avengers Infinity War. All movies that were clearly intended to be broadly appealing, we'll discuss if they appeal to us. Yes. Regardless, they appeal to many people's wallets. And we're also going to tie in a series from Amazon that just came out starring John Krasinski as Jack Ryan. It's called Jack Ryan. Kind of talk about if it pertains to any of the stuff that we've found within the structures continuously of these other global appealing films. Yeah, I don't really have any connection with prior uh, installments in the Jack Ryan franchise. Do you? I grew up watching some of those. Uh, much background, so maybe you can shed some light on if this is doing anything different. Or I'll just make a total ass of myself and confuse uh, whether or not something's a Jack Ryan thing. Reference a bunch of other movies. <laughs> yeah, the sum of all fears. That's yeah. Jack Ryan, right? <laughs> all right. So we will, as always, kick off the show with first impressions. We what are will. we checking out? We've got an ECS Amber that we're going to be uh, downing. I, th I think we should probably go ahead and take our first sip here. Let's do it. Cheers. How is it, Jen? Tell us. It's beautiful. What's it in your lips? It's so good. What kind of beer? Mm, that's a nice amber. I'm pretty confident that I'll finish this. I think I'll join you. Let's do this. All right. So um, we're going to do first impressions on Widows and Serenity. We've each seen these trailers. You don't remember them. Uh, or you don't remember Serenity at all. Maybe this is going to ring a bell. I'm looking uh, forward to it. It certainly will ring a bell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sound design is strong. So the um, reason that we're doing these against each other is because they both potentially have really strong performances. Mm -hmm. And they both could end up earning more than um, they were probably expected to make when they first began production. Yeah. And uh, potential awards candidates. Yeah. It seems. And for sure. definitely for performance, bare minimum. Um, yeah. Steve McQueen's probably, you know gonna snag some nominations but it'll re remain to be seen whether or not he wins a real award um, i'm sure he's got a shot there. at it so is there anything that you're looking for in these before we watch them with uh steve mcqueen i feel like the movies of his that i've seen so far i think i might have seen all of his movies between hunger shame and 12 years of slave i don't know if he's made any others or not i feel like you can kind of summarize what each of those movies are about in like one sentence 12 years of slave slavery Shame, pornog pornography, and sex addiction. And then hunger, hunger strike. Widows, I'm still not like sure like what is, if there is as concise of a thing here. And I think that's fine. Um, but uh, it, it still feels like it might be a little bit, a little bit more expansive or something like that some, than some of his other movies. You want to pitch? What you got? It's the cost of death. Ooh. Sounds dark. It is dark. It's called Widows. <laughs> That's true. <clears throat> Anything in Serenity you're looking for? Performances. All right. I think this is going to be performance-centric, considering our two leads are Anne Hathaway and uh, Matthew McConaughey, two mm -hmm. favorites of yours. And I like them both girls. quite a bit. 
Um, I think we've talked before that the director is not uh, someone we even know by name, right? I don't remember now. Yeah. So um, I, we very well could have had that conversation, or it could have been about nine thousand other movies we yeah. thought about. Um, I really don't recall much about the plot, so um, I'm just gonna wait and see what it what it tells me. Gotcha. What about you? Uh, I'm thinking it might be a Manchester by the Sea situation mm. where there's not a bad performance in the whole thing and maybe some of these supporting roles end up being some of the strongest roles of support in the year. Mm. Uh, I'm looking for sound design in Serenity, not necessarily in the trailer, but when we go see it. Uh, and then I'm mm. looking for uh, manipulation of light off of surface, which you'll see in this mm. trailer. It seems to do very, very well. So um, like what order would you like to go in? Let's do Serenity. Good to see you, John. It took so long to find you. What do you say? Say I'm not called John anymore. Sometimes we do bad things for good reasons. All right. We just watched Serenity, the official trailer. What do you think, Michael? First, I have to say that I am positive this is the first time I've seen this. Really? Yeah, this is truly a first impression. You've accidentally missed so many trailers before a movie then. Yeah, that is very possible. So you've already seen it a couple times? I've probably seen it over ten times. No way. Cool. I'm pretty excited about it. Looks like it has some really great tension. Um, looks very seductive. Very erotic. Um, performances look strong. Um... I'll let you talk about the sound design, since that was your area um, Well, unfortunately, area of I don't have studio uh, or cinema quality speakers. You know, we're not mm. at a movie theater. Mm -hmm. So I, there's it didn't come close to duplicating that sound effect. But there's this point in time where you kind of barely hear the water. Mm. And when that happens and you're in the theater, especially like a Dolby Atmos theater, mm. you feel like you're hearing nothing. And it's like this roaring cacophony of pain and anguish almost and it just washes over you and it affects your stomach it, yeah. it's a deeply affecting um sound design trailer and then the ticking of the the fishing line all that stuff just it it builds and it builds and it builds into a feeling that is best summarized by being the exact opposite of the title of the film which is serenity yeah yeah whatever serenity these characters might have looks like will be broken um, reminds me a little bit it, with its sound. Um, reminds me a little bit of uh, the trailer for Mother. Actually, mm -hmm. remember the piercing strings? Mm -hmm. um, it seems uh, you're, you're so, picking up on of, my bias. I'm hearing. Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> similarly uh, tense. Yes, for sure. Yeah, it's a double bias for me because it's kind of similar to Mother's trailer, mm, and it's yeah. got the interstellar couple. There you go. All good things. And then um, the other thing. Did you notice that she has? one too many gentlemen callers oh this uh they have some cigarettes there's some drinking to be had in the trailer i think uh this does meet the checklist it, of it, your noir qualities it does mm. seem that something's coming out of the past mm. towards him it certainly <laughs> does interesting locations can't quite tell where they are but it looks tropical you can kind of get a sense for the heat you know i always think that's kind of hard to capture in a really short amount of time is sort of a sense of place but i think i got that mm -hmm. it's like that heat is going to be as oppressive as the tension itself could be good it could it could it mm -hmm. reminds me kind of of the 
Kroll and Spider's Web and its tension. Mm, absolutely. Another Going for very similar vibes in there. Great looking. Yeah. Yeah. We got Widows on tap. So let's go ahead and do another cheers and dig cheers. in. My husband left me the plans for his next job. All I need is a crew to pull it off. Why should we trust you anyway? Because I'm the only one standing between you and a bullet in your head. That's what I've learned from men like your late husband and my father. Is that you reap what you sow. Let's hope so. Alright, we just watched the trailer for Steve McQueen's Widows. Taylor, what'd you think? I was surprised by how much more I heard in the sound design now that I was listening mm. to it just from Serenity. Yeah. The sound design is actually going to be really good in this one too, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm most excited other than Viola Davis for either Jackie Weaver or Elizabeth Debicki. Jackie mm-hmm. Weaver is an older Australian actress. She normally does comedy roles and then Elizabeth Debicki we both really liked in The Night Manager. Yeah. The actress from The Fast and the Furious, I forget her name. Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah, you're maybe a little more skeptical about her, right? I think you had mentioned I'm that one time before. I'm extremely skeptical yeah. about um, whether or not she, as a performer, fits into the tone of a Steve McQueen film. Mm. I've seen all the films that you mentioned earlier that Steve's done. Um, yeah. And I think that kind of the unique thing stringing all those together is he's almost got this Danny Boyle sense of authenticity mm. to him. Mm. where each film kind of creates its own world like Yorgos Lanthimos does. Yeah. Uh, Yorgos is more of a darker, brooding, um, farcical world. Yeah. Um, not to make light of his work, but, you know, Steve's is more of this really depressing realist tone, Yeah, I would say. And yeah. I don't think that Michelle Rodriguez fits as a performer into that type of a sensibility. Hmm. Yeah, the director that came to mind watching it this time, just paying a little more attention to the high sequences, is Michael Mann, um, Mm -hmm. because some of those look so much like heat to me. Yep, Um, the explosions made me think the same thing. Set pieces are not something that I ordinarily associate with Steve McQueen, Mm -hmm. but these look pretty good. I'm pretty excited to see what he does with some of these high sequences. Um, And a good budget. Yeah, I don't think it will be... um, upbeat by any means certainly seems mournful as the title suggests Mm -hmm. um and that feeling i think is running through the trailer pretty hard but i'm excited so um before we began i talked to you about what these projections might look like for these films Mm. um we didn't look up the budgets for either of them or i i didn't look them up at least um so i don't know but what what do you think they're going to do under or over 100 million domestic i would guess under probably for both yeah it's a little hard to say. It still feels like a little early in sort of the um, oh yeah, no, we're taking awards marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, I you know I still don't really have any sense for like what kind of money is going to get thrown behind the marketing for these widows. This trailer's already been out for a while. Like this is clearly going to get a big push. Like I mentioned, like you've seen some more about Serenity than I have. Mm-hmm. Um, without knowing anything about who's behind them, it's really tough to say. But I just think it's going to be a crowded fall season. 100 million's a big benchmark for, I think, movies of this category. I, I agree. I think that with Widows, though, what we might not be anticipating is something called Thanksgiving Push, mm. where there's basically six days where people have to spend time with their family. And uh, the best way to spend time with your family for most uh, people is to go sit in a silent room where you can't talk to each other. Yeah. And I think Widows might see a legitimate Thanksgiving Push. Um, yeah. That, I, I think it could go over $100 million because it's going to receive a Best Director nomination. Mm. I think it might be considered for Best Sound. I think it's going to get two actresses. 
nominated for uh, best performance and best supporting performance. I don't yeah. know who yet, but I, I think that that's something that's a pretty safe bet. Yeah. And I think that if you incorporate that stuff, you're going to look at a similar projection to something like Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. Um, and then when we compare back to with Serenity, like a Red Sparrow, right? Mm. We got $116 million worldwide there. So I don't think that it's going to break 90 here domestic, but I do think yep. that Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway together are worth the same as a Jennifer Lawrence um, yep. in worldwide distribution. So I, I do think it's probably going to break over 100 worldwide. Um, yep. And I think the, the deciding fact will be how many people remember Jimin Hunsu um, mm. for his performances, specifically in something like Blood Diamond. Um, oh, yeah. And how good yeah, yeah. he is. Is that what um, he was nominated for? I saw in the trailer I, I that he was nominated. I he was nominated opposite yeah. of Leonardo DiCaprio for that film, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then there's, you know, Diane Lane that's going to bring in an audience that, that maybe wouldn't normally see these types of things. So I, I do think mm-hmm. that it, it has a chance, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see it with mother um, types of yeah. performances. Yeah. Early reviews can really make or break these, you know? Yeah. Um, I also wasn't paying attention to the release dates. Um, are they both pre-Thanksgiving, I assume? That can always kind of throw off, like, the, the year-end totals, right? If some of this ends up getting pulled in after the end of the year anyways yeah they always um, push it so serenity yeah. is going to be october 19th yeah i guess you're just talking about 100 million total yeah yeah, yeah not, 100... for, not like the highest grossing of the year or anything yeah. no no 100 yeah. million just if it can Period. reach that kind of uh and it's theatrical run worldwide or domestic or worldwide yeah i was just kind of leaning domestic first yeah um and then yeah widows is going to be november 16th so it's going to be Coming. out um yep. it, so it's going to have a week to build a claim before everybody starts taking their vacation and going yeah. and spending time with their family. So I, I do think that it's yeah. going to be one of those sneaky plays. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see just, like, how wide they go with it, how fast. I think a slow build like Phantom um, did last year might be the right right move here. Phantom yeah, I mean, red. it certainly looks like the most accessible of any of these movies, right? Like, I, like, I these know. are I all great movies. I think 12 Years a Slave was pretty accessible. It's just hard. It's hard, but, like, I don't know that it was the first thing people would have gone out to see on I can tell you weekend. hunger and shame, I don't. I don't have family members I would show that film to. Yeah, me neither. I mean, those films. As we'll talk about with our broadly appealing global movies, like sometimes the ones people end up going to see with their families are the ones that won't upset anybody. Yep. Um, Widows might upset grandma. Uh Uh, Yeah, Peter Jackson's been making a living off of not upsetting people since the 90s. He's very good at not upsetting people. (laughs) But yeah. All right. Well, that's been First Impressions. We're going to segue into our kind of flagship reviews for the week. That's right. Um, you want to start with the Meg? Before we dive into the Meg, any like opening thoughts on globalism? Just because it had been on your yes. yeah. um, um, well, area of Well, you know, it, it's a difficult thing to talk about because you're either talking about the philosophical idea, the political idea, or the economic idea, and all of those play into each other. Yeah. And what you're really saying is um, the opposite of populism essentially, right? Which is mm. what's so interesting about domestic versus um, foreign uh, percentage breakdowns. Mm. Whereas something like um, Operation Red Sea, mm. the uh, Chinese propaganda film, essentially, where they go murder um, people in the Middle East, specifically mm. Muslims in the Middle East, um, mm. made 99.7% everywhere except for America. Mm. Um, which, and when you look into that further, it's less money would have been made in Europe than would have been made in Asia. So mm. it's interesting how these propaganda films that are going to be looked back on, I think, in 100 years as really, really bad 
Yeah. I, th- I think that it Might could really well. be looked at as something like Birth of a Nation's looked at. I'm not. I'm yeah. not trying to like make that reference necessarily, but I. I do think that a film. I had a hard time watching it, not because it mm. was soap opera, bad action, bad everything, You're but because it, it was a fairly racist film. It wasn't pointing out flaws in religion and yeah. uh, ways of behavior. It was basically saying china's amazing look at us kill people and that was fairly you know not to use the word problematic easily but it, it mm. was problematic not exactly in favor of that no no i'm not in favor of really any of the monotheistic religions but i'm also not in favor of uh just brutally murdering them and making it look like you're a hero not cool not cool at all so just kind of the general sort of like definition we're working with are like just films that aim to be broadly appealing to yeah hit the largest audience possible um, across so, so cultural my, my idea of globalism for this conversation is going to be kind of a capitalistic sense of it yeah. meaning how can you manipulate where you know there's switches and levers to be manipulated how can you manipulate those for more earnings in a capitalistic system um at a worldwide level right and mm. and then we're talking about um companies that are doing that really effectively um unfortunately we don't have them involved here but the h brothers are a recent mm. production company that are doing a really good job of, I think, investing in things that are um, going extremely broad. Yeah. Um, and really easy to pick up. But uh, like with Michelle Rodriguez in Widows, yeah. just a second ago, I would make an argument that in order for him to get that huge budget for all those action scenes and oh, to yeah. kill John Bernthal and Liam Neeson and all these characters and have Robert Duvall and, and all this stuff, he had to meet the studio halfway and maybe cast someone who wasn't correctly suited from the fast and furious franchise so that they can not hemorrhage too much oh yeah i mean i think you could make a similar arg- argument for liam neeson right i mean he might be better suited for the tone of this film but like i don't think the studio would have had any complaints if he, that was his choice i don't know I, I could liam see neeson, that be steve mcqueen's choice which is very possible but i just mean like that is sure that surely didn't hurt his chances of getting no. financing with his background in something like the Taken well, franchise, y- you right? So you wouldn't think that classically, but I, I would argue that maybe they would have pushed back against that. Um, and it's not just because I want to argue, but I think that it's fascinating to say he cast Liam Neeson only to kill him. Yeah. That's why he got cast so that he could be killed. And I think mm. that a guy like Steve McQueen would find that a very cerebral prospect, whereas everyone's spending mm. all this money to watch Liam Neeson not die somehow and what he's gonna do is kill him easily and brutally yeah that's usually what he's good at is not dying yes yeah so he's kind of uh, going against his conventions there so i came up with this idea about a month and a half ago and we've just been Mm. kind of rolling with it and trying to evolve it yeah Uh, we've been slowly watching these titles the meg crazy rich asians then we kind of binged the armageddon and avengers over the last week um Mm -hmm. what what does it mean to you this I, this conversation i want to have about globalism in, in cinema i think i was working off sort of a similar definition just films that are deliberately constructed to reach the widest possible audience and that involves reaching not only a domestic but international audience and therefore um considering what artistic choices mean for both american sensibilities as well as foreign sensibilities um and you know i think it's an an important distinction because we kind of talk about like movies that play worldwide as being the ones that are you know movies like this the meg these huge movies 
which is super different from other movies that I think do play well worldwide, but they travel, you know, the, the international festival circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like this whole other group of international film that doesn't get the same conversation about crossing borders, right? Yes. Which is obviously small-scale cinema. Um, but when you think about things that seem to cross borders and sort of, if you think about the themes that just seem to, like, connect us all as as humans things like love friendship death we get some of these things in smaller scale movies that play on the festival circuit whereas some of these movies seem to refer to the uh idea that the bigger the stakes are the more likely a larger audience can involve themselves oh that's interesting Um, i think to me that's a that's a big thing that a lot of these movies have in common no, um, that, that crazy rage agents maybe being a different uh, case, but yeah, I, I think it's still part of the same case. It just has a different um, way of, of arriving there. So me and my friend were talking about this while we were watching Armageddon, because um, mm. he's been digging into some of Bullfinch's uh, mythology recently. So Very I think that his, his idea uh, of that stuff came back. It's kind of like Edith Hamilton's mythology compendium. It's just a mm-hmm. compendium of uh, or old Western mythos. Mm-hmm. But basically, there's three ideas about what a story can be from a classical, original storytelling around a campfire type of a story, oral uh, tradition stories. Mm-hmm. And it's um, man versus nature. It's the mm-hmm. original idea. Mm-hmm. Then it's man versus man. Mm-hmm. Then it's man versus himself. Got it. Yeah. And I, I think that the, the thing that you can find on the festival circuit mm-hmm. is man versus himself. And I don't yeah. think that you can find man versus himself on the global worldwide mm. market. Yeah. Whereas I think that with the Meg, with Armageddon, we're seeing man versus nature. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that we're seeing man versus man, even though it's woman versus woman in Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing um, a, a kind of a interesting middle ground with um, Infinity War where, you know, mm. it's man versus man, but the man is a god and there's lots of um, mm. smaller god men fighting yeah. the main god yeah trying yeah. to keep him from snapping yeah that's a good way to put it i hadn't really thought about it in those terms but if you break it down into those three buckets i think that's a nice way to, to categorize some of these um but yeah so starting with man versus nature yes we have the meg we do we do i got to see this film in 3d yes and i really enjoyed my time mm. uh watching it and i don't think that I would have responded the way that I did to it if I hadn't watched it in 3D. So when you logged it, not mm. having seen it in 3D, I was mm. not surprised at all. I was just disappointed. Um, ah, yeah. There's, I, I don't really know how to talk about a film like this. Um, you know, it, it's a diverse cast. It does everything you expect it would do. It makes the proper Jaws jokes. It casts yeah, yeah. Um, Dwight as a evil villain, finally. Um, you know, it, it's just a pleasant time i i like jason statham quite a bit and it yeah. was fun to see him play the, the brooding hero um of yeah. a film by himself for once since what crank to yeah. high voltage whatever that was yeah that's kind of his niche his niche yeah um yeah i think i ultimately ended up giving it a one and a half but to be honest like in the process of watching it i floated as far to like i floated from one and a half to a three it was kind of moving yeah, as i watched process. it yeah um 
I like the second half significantly more than the first half. Okay, so um, let's let's just dig into the first half. Did mm-hmm. you find suspense during those um, points in time when they were underneath? I believe it's called the methane sheet in the uh, Atlantic tre- or the Pacific Trench. I can't remember if they're in the Atlantic. Or- no, they're they're the Mariana's the Trench, right? No. Is, is that, that right? It's, it's just the only trench I, th- I know. I think you're right. Well, no, there's the there's the Atlantic Trench, which is like the deepest okay. trench in, on Earth. Yeah. But they're in Asia, so it must be the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it must be the Mariana Trench. Yeah. Um, no, I really didn't feel much. I really wanted to. I, I was I, really trying. Um, yeah, I did. When, um, when the guy closes... When Hiro, Yakumura yeah. from yeah. Heroes, locks himself in so that no one else will die... You know, mm. that was one of the uh, biggest you. emotional payoffs that didn't mm. come from the kid. Yeah. The kid was cute and funny. And I I, um, I didn't fall for but I, I had a good time with those little running gags. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of them were, were very, very lightly amusing for me. But I just, I kind of felt like I kept getting told how deep they were in the ocean. You and did. I never, I, oh, absolutely. I should oh, be clear. Oh, you felt it. No, I really didn't. Like, I just felt like. For these guys to be at the deepest point of the ocean with a giant shark around them, like, I should just be feeling way more on edge and more claustrophobic than I am. Um, like, the camera just wasn't really giving me the sense of space that I think it needed to, to really put me down there. No, this, um, this is interesting. I think that this will play into Avengers Infinity War as well, where what what we're watching is a, a film that is made for a bunch of different formats. And yeah. the cases you didn't see it in the format it was um, optimized for. Yeah, yeah, just like the same thing with Avengers: Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's interesting because I did kind of feel like it wasn't like I noticed it, but it was that I didn't notice that I didn't. Oh, I, you're I just, think you're just kind of with it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I think that maybe you noticed that you weren't feeling that. Yeah for something that's supposed to be this remarkable it just i kind of thought to myself i'm not having a remarkable feeling Mm -hmm. to not only be you know hunted by a shark but the biggest shark there ever was at the deepest point in the ocean these are like hyperbolic you know traits of the scenario and like my feeling was really just not on that level Mm -hmm. um so I just kind of kept being disappointed. I'm like, I'm not having as much fun with this as, as I kind of want to be for what's actually happening. But that changes a little bit once we actually get above water. And I do think that's something about sharks. Like, to me, part of the the fear of sharks is them, like, being beneath you, mm-hmm. um, being above water and not knowing where they are below you. I didn't really just feel that impending sense of doom as the sharks like supposedly kind of around them down there at the bottom of the ocean sort of that like spatial awareness was just kind of lost on me um shark movies you always have to kind of be familiar with where characters are in relation to the shark Mm -hmm. that's why like the fin of the shark is so important right um so nothing really about that underwater scenario really got me feeling much so there's this kind of classical idea that's um, the behemoth in the shadow is scarier than the behemoth in the sun, mm. which I, I think, you know, the the shark narrative plays into that, right? Uh, Jaws is at its best when we are waiting for it to bite us, not when it's already mm. jumped out. Oh, yeah, right? for sure. 
And I think that this is very much the same. And uh, what I'm curious about is I watched Black Panther in IMAX 2D because they didn't offer mm. IMAX 3D. And it looked like absolute trash. Mm. The special effects were just terrible, unfortunately. Like, the spaceship looked like it was from a PlayStation 2 game. Yeah. And whereas, like, the lush, beautiful forest looked like it was a lush, beautiful forest. Yeah. Um, so it took me out of it. And I'm wondering if the shark's CG effects were so bad that it took you out of it. Kind of like with the nun the other day. A little bit. It certainly didn't help. There was nothing about the look of this particular shark or its size um, that just really struck fear in me. And as they're descending into these depths, they're kind of commenting on how awestruck they are. I just was not that impressed with some of these visuals. I thought the cinematography was kind of murky and just didn't give me that sense of depth that I was being told they are reaching. There's uh, one, I don't know how um, else to say it. There's <laughs> one specific scene where they manipulate the 3D format, and it looks mm. absolutely beautiful when you watch like this shiny fish go through this coral reef, and it's it's just beautiful, and then all of a sudden there's the lurking shark in the background. Mm. Um, yeah. But it's not the real shark, and then like the the Meg comes mm. up and eats that shark, or, you know, that type of thing. And that was a really cool use of 3D, but there wasn't too much that um, that made it great. It was just one of those, an overall good thing for me. I gave it a yeah. three, you gave it a one and a half, half my rating. No, 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 I gave it a two and a half. Two and a half? Yeah. What did we just talk about that you gave a one and a half to? I just meant that throughout the course of watching it, I thought I was maybe going to go as low as a one and a half. Okay. Went up as high as a three. In summation, felt like it was about a two and a half. So okay. kind of just right down the middle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like you said uh, last episode, those are the most fascinating um, yeah. types of reviews. Yeah, because you, can't you end up just like with moments you like, moments you don't like. So like you put them together and it's a number, but so it's kind of, it's strange. Why, yeah. why do you think it's performing this well? Yeah. So should we start with box office numbers? Yeah, let's, let's do it. It's uh, almost at $500 million worldwide gross. Yeah. 26.7% domestic, 73.3% foreign. 73% foreign. Yep. That's a lot. Yeah, and this was one that was not expected to do very well. I did. Right? I did. I made a bunch right. of bets with a bunch of my Wider friends consensus was, when I was yeah. uh, watching the trailer for it, and I said it'd do over $400 million uh, worldwide because I think that it was going to be hit in the Asian markets, and I think uh, I gotcha. was right. Yeah, sort of the consensus that I heard was that, you know, people thought it was a, a mistake to try to keep it as tonally light as they did, to try to make it somewhat campy but not campy enough. People thought that they were sort of um, going to end up in no man's land. Um, See, um, that, that's interesting, but I, I entirely disagree with those people because I've watched things like Skyscraper and Rampage this mm. year, which I think were going for that global market, but they didn't try to lighten their tone and make it fun. Mm-hmm. And I think that those two films specifically were really bad because they didn't try to do that. Whereas this yeah. knew what it was doing. And and that's why I didn't think that Skyscraper or Rampage would do well and they haven't. Yeah. Like one of the marketing ploys that I saw, which is a fun ploy, just but interesting. N none of this marketing I felt like was really meant to like instill fear in you. One of the... There's one scene, but okay. Okay, okay, well, you can mention that. One of the um, ads I saw in a uh, an article about how it was played in China was a like, a like a punching bag in the movie theater, 
where the head of the shark is kind of hanging down almost like a pinata and you can punch it and the question like above it was like will jason statham punch a shark see the meg to to find out um like super fun super light this is not meant to get in your bones right jason statham Um, is their jackie chan from what i understand interesting he's not my jackie chan Jackie well, Chan's my Jackie Chan. We live in America. They live in Asia. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're you're taking someone else's yeah. uh, action star, yeah, and kind of making it your own, which is interesting because you'd assume like a Tom Cruise would be their uh, their guy, but they yeah. they really like Jason Statham, which I I think plays into the fact that Dwayne the Rock Johnson um, and Jason Statham spinoff of the Fast and Furious, I think oh, they yeah. might do more business than the Fast and Furious films have. I, I think see there's, that. there's a possibility there. Yeah. But um, there, there is one scene that causes suspense in the trailers um, where the little girl drops her ball. Oh, yeah. And the, sure. the shark does the thing. And then in the film, um, when the shark kills the mother whale, that was sad. Uh, I can remember that. They're under, is the little girl watching it? I believe so. Yeah. Or, okay. or yeah. they're just walking away and she's the only one that sees it after yeah. they find her. You know, it's... That's fair. Yeah. It's a smorgasbord film. It's... Yeah. Uh, it's, let's just hop to it. Rain Wilson starts being a bad yeah. guy. What did you think about that arc? I thought it was fine. I didn't love it. Didn't hate it. Like a lot of things in this movie. He definitely got me. I think he got me laughing on a couple times. He got um, me to laugh. Yeah. I think I, I'm going to kind of forget about him pretty quick. Like I will most of these characters. But no complaints. Like I was perfectly fine with sort of the humorous approach. I, he took. I think he was a broadly appealing villain. I think the same mm-hmm. thing can be said about the... Uh, relationship that slowly develops through the little kid's insistence yeah i I think that's one of those broadly approachable romances um and then you know you have your classic characters that are just there to die off like in a good anaconda film yeah but it's weird how there aren't well i guess i'd have to kind of recall how many characters there were to begin with to me this isn't one of those shark movies where there's just death after death after death until you have one person left like there are actually quite a few people still standing at the end, amongst mm-hmm. that crew. Just a lot of expository dialogue, right? Um, it it's felt the best like, approachable dialogue. Yeah. Lots of if-then statements. If you descend too fast, your lungs will explode, or something like that, um, versus, you know, visual storytelling approaches. Mm-hmm. Like maybe cutting to a gauge and showing us that uh, the pressure is getting, you know, close to maxing out or something like that. Which is interesting to me. Like, in a way, you would think that if this is meant to, like, cross borders, visual storytelling is something that should translate. Like, why not try to dial down the dialogue a little bit? That's something I, I can't figure out. Are you coming out. up with, were these criticisms inherent in you, or did these develop out of watching Armageddon? No, I'm, not in Armageddon. Okay. These are, I'm, because these, the, the, just the, these things are things that happen in Armageddon. That's why I'm asking. You think there is a lot of exposition there too, or there's less? a lot of expository imagers instead of expository oh, dialogue. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So I'm asking if maybe that's how you notice these oh. things. Um, uh, no, I actually hadn't even thought about that. Okay. But that's a great point. I could have used a little more of that here, and a little yeah. less exposition, a little less explaining to me. It always comes off as a little condescending. Um, you know, when every beat. It's explained. hard for me to get a beat on on how to properly criticize something that's intended for twelve year olds all the way to you know 68 year old parents i know you know yeah um so it's almost at 500 million <laughs> it's making most of its money worldwide uh it's made over a quarter of it here in america though 
Yeah. It's got something for everybody. Yep. It's going to be fun to watch at home in 3D with a bunch of people. You know, I, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if, if a lot of uh, 14-year-old boys get this as a Christmas gift this year. Yeah, which is when you just want to, like, talk to one of those kids about it, right? Because it's so easy for me to say something like, oh, it's the kind of movie that lots of people will see, have a little bit of fun with, but that nobody will love. I'm not that familiar with 14-year-old boys anymore. Like, who knows? Maybe this is their favorite movie of the year. That seems very plausible. Well, surprisingly, um, there's movies that you that aren't even on your radar that end up oh, yeah. in some of their favorite most-watched films. Yeah. Um, I, I think that I was reading that the 12 to 17-year-old boy bracket of Netflix watchers mm. um, watches Sandy Wexler 40% more than um, any other film that they watch, meaning yeah. they watch it like twice minimum. Yeah. And that Sandy Wexler is kind of like their water boy for this generation, mm. which is just That's fascinating because yeah. you know, Sandy Wexler, I don't know if he watched it, but like it's, I did not. it's his least <laughs> bad film that he's made for Netflix. It's not great, but it's it's kind of approachable and fun. It's just, in, you know, it's hard to remember what it was like to just have hormones and, and not really know what you wanted in a film and just kind of wanted to laugh with your friends quite quite often. Yeah. You want to come yeah. home and decompress from school. It seems like that's kind of their goal. And I, I think that this yeah. is one of those Fast and Furious type movies. It's just approachable. I think I like it more yeah. than a Fast and Furious film, though, because they weren't talking to each other un, underwater without mics. They had mics. Mm. Yeah. Whereas that, in Fast and Furious, they do not have mics. They just talk out the window. <laughs> minor details. They do add up. So should we hop over uh, to a brief uh, turn off with Crazy Rich Asians? I don't know how much I'm going to have to offer other than how much I like certain characters and how much I don't really care for much else. Yeah. This is interesting because my review has gone up slightly. Yours has come down slightly. We settled in the same spot. At a two and a half. Yep. Right down the middle similar to your mega review these are fascinating types of films the consensus of globalism is going to be extremely mediocre <laughs> yes yes it is it's extremely mediocre which makes it broadly palatable <laughs> just ask peter jackson's the hobbits yeah yeah um so what what's fascinating about something like this is that i wrongfully interpreted it to be a film that would appeal broadly to foreign markets Mm-hmm. it's done an astounding amount of business exclusively domestically. Do you mm. want to take a, a stab at what the percentages might be, knowing that? 80-20? Uh, 80-20. 82 to 17.3. 82.7 oh, wow. to 17.3. Pretty damn close. Yeah, that's pretty lopsided, which surprises me a little bit. Right? Yeah. Um, this is set in Singapore, I believe. Um, I'm not quite sure what the rollout Once we're was not like in New York for this. In London. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how long it's been played in that market. Um, maybe some of either. these are because it's still, you know, third week or so for this film. So maybe you know that can even itself out over time if they're yet to launch it there. I don't know. Um, but that does surprise me a little bit. I, I don't think that rom coms um, behave in in a you know what we would view as a traditional way. In, mm-hmm. in the Asian markets, though, mm-hmm. um, where, whereas in America, there's kind of a, a bubble market on streaming platforms for romantic mm. f- films and romantic comedy films. Yeah, uh, Asia has very few, and the ones that they that do end up um, getting a lot of money spent on them end up being kind of cult classics. 
yeah. the, like film lovers in America love watching. Yeah, yeah. This one was interesting because it was one that Netflix bid for quite heavily, mm-hmm. I think I read. Um, but they, they decided to give it the theatrical run. No, Netflix didn't take it. Um, the the director uh, and collaborative partners decided mm. to not go with Netflix. And I think Netflix yeah, was I mean. offering more money. And they, they specifically went with the other production studio, um, in his words, because he wanted to see an all-Asian-American billboard for a film. Yeah, that's what I meant. He, that he wanted the theatrical okay. release. Okay. Um, sorry, didn't mean to miscommunicate. And I don't think it would have struck the chord that it has right if it had been released on netflix to enter the cultural conversation like theatrical releases have i i don't necessarily agree but film wise uh film wise i i don't know i don't know because we haven't had enough distance from a film like this mm. you know what i mean like i remember a point in time where okja w- was all we talked about for four months i remember one yeah. Bright was talked about for six months last year you know and it was talked yeah. about two months after it came out not positively yeah. but it was part of the cultural conversation in a similar way and and I, I, you know, I think that the reason why Crazy Rich Asians is doing what it is is because of the marketing push that made it so public mm. and that people can, that anyone can see it and you don't need internet and that, that it's released in a traditional format and that there's this narrative of this is the first traditional format release of an all Asian American cast except for the beginning of the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, while actually watching it, like, I will confess I was just a little bored that's all that's all i, I was bored just i, I bored. was very bored when jimmy o yang wasn't entertaining me Who's or, that? uh jimmy o yang is from the silicon valley television show who did he play uh he played the guy that would dress in outlandish clothing and uh he oh, was the one uh, yeah, that was running yeah. the party on the freighter got but, it yeah yeah yes. he's fun yeah yeah no, he's, he's a real fun uh comedian yeah, pretty central to me enjoying any romantic comedy is whether or not I'm charmed by the central romance, and mm-hmm. I never really was swept up in it. D- did either actor um, sweep you up? I liked Rachel Chu or Constance Wu. I Constance think her Wu. character's name is Rachel. I liked her better than I liked Henry Golding. I Henry agree. Golding. But did you like thirteen either? girls are gonna kill me for mixing up his name? I I, I liked her, but he did nothing for me. Okay, um, and I think kind of as a result, their their romance did nothing for me i i liked um, her more but I, I didn't particularly like her either which yeah. was disappointing to me i expected that i i normally do get swept up i just watched that uh somebody somebody is an idiot or something on netflix and i i got swept oh. up on that sierra burgess is a sierra loser like that yeah i really liked that movie actually yeah like i i got swept up in it and i was having a good time throughout i watched the uh the other rom-com they released a couple uh weeks back where it was kind of playing into the crazy rich asian it was an asian american teenage girl that fell in oh yeah, that, yeah. like uh, her sister ended up mailing all these letters that she'd written to different boys uh yeah got swept up in that too so it's not that yeah. i don't like rom-coms it's just um for some reason this didn't get me and i think that it's because it has so many characters yeah oh yeah i wanted to talk about that because this is based on a book i assume mm-hmm. you didn't read the book you haven't mentioned that i did not read this book i did not read this book either but this clearly contained many characters from the book that I just felt like all were thinly sketched and not colored in, and that all the director was trying to pull more emotional weight from all these characters than was than he was really able to do f- 
from such thin sketches of these characters. Yes. Like, the cousin of Henry Golding, I think her name was Astrid, who's having marital problems. I liked her. I did too, right? I liked that performance. That's Gemma Chan. Is that right? I think I so. Know. To me, like, I can just envision this being, like, two to three chapters or something like that. Um, and it just felt really thin. Um, I really liked her. I, I was kind of excited each time she was on screen. And I was like, I really feel like I'm supposed to be feeling more here than I am. Um, and there's just a depth to this character and this kind of relationship uh, history that I'm not yeah, I think picking up on. I think it jumped too much. I, I think that it needed to spend more time to ground itself with kind of showing Constance going between her female friends of um, Gemma Chan and Aquafina. Mm-hmm. Um, one that, that she already had and one that she developed mm. and then um, kind of tell her story through that arc and then yep. not try to suss out all those other veins that they spend so much time on yeah, kind of pointlessly but I, you know this isn't for us everyone else you mm. know this is like searching everyone else yeah. is liking this a lot more than us yeah I mean I feel like many people are excited about representation right which which is super exciting. Like I, I I that was not the problem at all. It's just that like I I was having trouble getting swept up in this story. Sort of on the like representation front. Like one thing that I really did love and that I've really enjoyed in, in retrospect was the music. Um, I've been jamming to this soundtrack over the past week. Okay. Um, I enjoyed the soundtrack quite a bit. I thought yeah. you were gonna go with the food though. Oh yeah, there was yeah yeah there was a lot of uh, food porn I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like a lot of. Uh, you know, swing music from, you know, the 40s and the 50s. And for a movie that's as much about generational divides as cultural divides, I think that, like, actually really nicely evoked an earlier time. Mm -hmm. And I liked hearing lyrics that I didn't know, or lyrics that I knew in a a different language, where I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, as satisfying as it is to just, you know, see a full Asian cast, which... You know, I haven't seen. I don't think I've ever seen the Joy Luck Club. I know that's the other I movie people have been either. talking about. But I, I've seen. Um, I think some previously to this. I, I, the hard thing is that they're saying an all Asian American cast, which means that it has to be a film out of Hollywood, hmm, and that's yeah. where it's like, yeah, I probably haven't. Yeah. But, but I, I've seen so many classic uh, films, kind of because of how much reverence you know these film podcasts that inspired us have spent on these akira kurosawas and yeah um you know everyone knows ghibli you know even though that yeah. that's not actual acting that's still all asian performances yeah uh, and yeah. voice acting and, and artistry and, and things like that so it, it is interesting that it's so hard for hollywood to have this representation and i think that that's an important development but i also don't want us to uh, put all the bathwater in without the baby per se mm and just say representation is the end goal because i i think mm. that this lacks a certain level of artistry that i i want to see um oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it lacks um an original vision that that i was looking for and that i thought would be there oh yeah 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 i would agree but some of that music i just kind of realized only you know a couple days after watching it and listening to it on on spotify i thought to myself like i've never heard asian swing music I hadn't either. Um, and or, and or Asian brilliant. orchestral. Yeah, yeah. Right? There, um, there's a few classical, like, Beethoven's and, and Mozart's that are, that are played, isn't there? I don't think so. No? Um, only because I was looking at the scores, like, specifically in the last couple of days as I was listening to it. Um, most of it's original. Um, and then there are some, like, covers of 
40s and 50s songs from contemporary Asian singers. Okay. Um, but I yeah. recognize some of the songs, though. I thought that they were, like, classical, like, during the wedding, when there was, like, the band playing, uh, a bunch of string instruments and stuff. I thought that they were playing some classical mm. music there and at the house. That could be. Maybe, like, there was some uh, diegetic music, like, within the yeah. world of the film. Maybe yes. there was some Mozart, but yeah. Oh, yeah, um, no, not part of the soundtrack of the film, but within yeah. the film. That could Part be. of the sounds of the film. Yeah, I could absolutely see, like his parents playing that perhaps yeah. well um, I, I think that it was actually uh people that were in the house performing for them because they're so rich that they don't use cd uh, players they use people there was one that i was going to mention as one that i particularly particularly liked oh it was uh towards the beginning when we see gossip spreading on screen we see text messages you know sort of fantastic visual flourish great moment the song there is called text ting swing it's a great song great title yeah, that's um, a good title really fun moment very <laughs> I, I i did really like this music and it's something that in retrospect i might like just kind of like lean more into if i was to rewatch it and probably get a little more out of it on the first go around i was so sort of like underwhelmed with the relationship that i wasn't really paying attention to it hmm. but i was sort of trying to think about you know what do i like about this and all of a sudden i was like actually this is great music um so that was fun um, what about performances? We already talked about the central couple. We don't really like them, but there's a lot of supporting uh, actors and actresses that Lots. are quite reputable. Um, mm-hmm. And some of them are very, very, very good. In Who'd my opinion, like? at least. I loved Aquafine in this role. Yeah. I'm just 100% honest. I thought she was terrible in Ocean's 8. Did not understand mm. the character. Didn't think she fit oh, yeah. in the world. Yeah. Not at all. And this, though. My pitch for a sequel to this film is we just follow her around in her car and she proceeds to wear all of her outfits. That'd and be we fun. just follow her for a whole night where she wears every outfit and gets into up that. to these shenanigans. Uh, that would be fun. She is one character, though, who I was honestly just confused at when we meet her. because I was confused, too. I didn't know I was like, who was. is this? Yeah. Um, they mentioned it very quickly. I had to go back and try to figure out, like, when did they introduce her? And it's before they even like leave New York. He's like, you can he see that old friend. Of... friend. Yes. Exactly. And then, um, um, so before we cut to her seeing her, yeah. the last thing is he's like in bed with her and he says, so I'm going to go do this with my family or something. And you're going to go see her. And yeah. she kisses him and says, yeah. And then they proceed to have sex in a shower or something. Uh, classic yeah. rom-com. Right. Yeah. And then cut to her outrageous outfit. And then, um, that family, right? You got yeah. Ken Jong, you got that goofy cousin that yeah. people either love or hate. Kind of the new I, money kind of thing. Yeah. I, I think a lot of uh, film critics seem to hate that mm. character because he's taking photos of her. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. The brother. I, or I, I don't know if the jokes translate. I almost feel like we're losing a subtext by not being Asian to mm. understand maybe um, that type of a constant gramming culture if you will mm. that's kind of what i was picking up on that he was just kind of gramming everything yeah yeah or instagramming um, whatever kids call it nowadays yeah i felt so kind of dense when i was just confused about who these people were to be yes. honest but i can i can absolutely see for those who read the book them getting very excited as yes. this character was introduced they're like oh my gosh there's aquafina um like that would just be way more fun um I didn't have a problem with Ken Jong. That's Dr. Ken Jong to you. My apologies. 
<laughs> he was funny. Yeah. He got laughs out of me. I like him a lot. Yeah. Him, Jimmy O. Yang, and that cousin. I Those were the only actors I liked. You didn't like Henry Golding's mom? No, actors, as in the male. Masculine. Oh, literally yeah, male Yeah, those actors. were the okay. only men that I found in, enjoyable for performances in the film. Yeah. I love Michelle Yao. I love Gemma Chan. Cool. Uh, yeah. love Aquafina. So there's kind of three and three there. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the women out before the men for me. Um, there's no question. By a long shot. Um, I, I think that's because Mich- Michelle has so much to do. She's mm. kind of like a Viola Davis. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that comparison. Aged many films and, you know, she, she knows what she's doing and I don't know yeah. she got to me. Yeah. What do you think of the Mahjong scene? I don't know. I heard everyone talk about it before I saw the film. Yeah. Especially that scene. Um, a lot of people like that scene. Yeah. So I I didn't think it was a bad scene, but I, I thought that it wasn't good enough for as much mm. accolade as it's getting. That I heard yeah. about it from like seven different reviewers, you know? Yeah, it's one that has made me feel very stupid in hindsight because everyone is saying that like you don't have to know mahjong to know exactly what's going on in this scene i cannot say that i was a little confused i mean they're showing you the tiles have you ever played mahjong i haven't but i understand i didn't know what i'm was pretty happening. intuitive with Which patterns because yeah of the colorblind thing yeah so yeah. i kind of picked up that she had something that broke her pattern and yeah. that um by giving that up she would kind of uh expose her neck for the kill and, yeah. and allow her to maintain power, which is kind of how you don't take power mm. in this type of a situation. So I, yeah. I was picking up on it, but I, I understand why someone wouldn't. It's just yeah. I knew what I was looking for yeah. because so many people had talked about it that I, uh, I knew yeah. what I was looking for. And I just played enough games over the years. Yeah. Um, yeah. To me, I, I wasn't sort of as taken aback by how that scene was shot as a lot of people seem to be. Um but again, it's... How was it shot? Wasn't it kind of just a standard view and then maybe a swirl? That's kind of what I felt. And I don't think, like, the camera work did anything to, to really help me understand how the, um... Oh, it, you it know, was doing close-ups on the tiles to show you the patterns? Yeah. And it yeah. showed her rearranging them so that they were... Uh, so that the patterns were in conjunction? Yeah. And then it showed her draw the extra tile, and where she put that broke her pattern? Yeah. And she could have, I think, kept playing, or she could have mm. discarded, quote unquote. And I think she chose discard, but yeah. because she's a game theory person, she knew mm. what everybody mm. else had on the board. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, like, it's super fun just to see things in movies that you just never seen. I don't, th- I can't name a single movie where I watched a game of mahjong. Um, I don't know. It's Mulan? fun. To- you think? Could be. That's my, <laughs> that's that's my bet. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I, I'm always going to get some pleasure out of just getting exposure to things that I haven't um, seen before in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was excited about that, but I, I felt like the praise for that scene was um, maybe a little lost on me or something. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it was a little bit over-exuberant. Yeah. I, I think that all yeah. the praise for this film is over-exuberant, which is good because that means that there's a bunch of people that are getting something out of it that we're not getting out of it. Which is always mm-hmm. good with art, that someone's getting something out of it, right? Yeah. I was getting something out of um, It Comes at Night that no one else mm. was getting. <laughs> I seem to have gotten the same with Mother. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, so, who am I to point the finger? I'm glad someone's mm. liking it. 
I'm glad that that guy got to make his film and that it's su as successful as it is. I'm glad that all these people are getting something out of it. But I'm, I, I just hope that if they continue to focus on things that aren't per se exactly making an auteurist piece, mm -hmm. that they all in, instead of just trying to be inclusive, they also try to be inclusive and make something beautiful and original. Yeah. Because the you know the director would be the first guy to tell you this isn't beautiful beautifully original. It's beautiful, yeah, to look at. It's it's gossamer and shiny and you know they steal that great blowout <laughs> ending with the fireworks. Oh yeah, um, but it, it it doesn't have something original to it. And I I'd, I'd like to see something that's an all Asian American cast that's original. I guess is yeah. my biggest criticism, which is just me agreeing with everyone else that I want more Asian American cast, but that I yeah the rom com didn't suit me. Yeah, to me, this is one where the sequel could be a huge step up from the original because we don't have to reintroduce all these characters. We can exactly. just, let's just narrow the focus. Um, Aquafina, baby, be... one night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, if we, yeah, Aquafina. If we tar if we switch to um, Astrid, the character with the marital problems, Ooh, well, I, would um, like that. I would love that movie. I would love to to spend more time with her. Um, it just felt like our attention was spread pretty thin, mm -hmm. um, and that didn't leave me with a whole lot, but. Yeah follow her yeah. charity work you know yeah she's just a good all person. of a sudden it turns into like a, a you know the meg type of a film where <laughs> her, her charity is attacked by some monster <laughs> yep broad appeal gotta make it globally appealing <laughs> um so the thing that's joining these so far is huge casts but um mm. where the meg went diverse and is close to 500 million dollars crazy rich asians went very specific to just asians yeah not diverse. Do you think that that's why it's at 164 million? Because it doesn't say. have that diversity um, of cast. I mean, I think I think the Meg was was literally built to open in both markets simultaneously, right? No, it, it um, absolutely was. Yeah. But but just to focus on on one aspect, right? Because we're comparing a shark film to a rom com. Yeah. yeah. So the thing, do you think that diversity of cast is um, mm. something that uh, brings in a, a bigger global audience or not mm. feels tough to say one way or the other because this is this just because it feels like a small sample size oh um, it is we're so just comparing I, yeah two i don't things. know i don't know uh, we're comparing these two things we're not making an overall statement but do you think that um because mm. crazy rich asians is exclusively asian americans and asians mm. uh, from asia and the Meg has this broad, swarthing cast. Do you think that played into it? Or do you think that it's because Crazy Rich Asians is a rom-com where it's more of a man-versus-man scenario? Mm. And the Meg is something that everyone can um, get behind because it's it's about all of these people that are all diverse yeah. against this thing. Yeah, I mean, I think I would attribute less of it to diversity and more of it to the man-versus nature and yeah. the universal fear of, of death yeah, yeah this, this global scale of uh, fear that you know it doesn't matter if you don't speak the same language you both look at the thing with teeth that that's big and trying to kill you and you both agree to kill yeah. it together yeah which is kind of depressing to me in a way that like that's the common ground we can find is that we're all just why? afraid of of death i mean that, that, that i agree that background is, is why you're alive though i agree that it, it that it is a common denominator but it's also the reason why this isn't a memorable film for me is that I think that there are more interesting things that we all have in common, right? Like um, a desire for love, a desire for friendship, a desire for 
a healthy life. Um, it it you know, depends that on these where you're movies... coming at it from, right? Yeah. Because to me, that's like biological essentialism. This innate <sighs> need to not die from a predator and yeah. to band together is why yeah. we are alive because our ancestors did that. They succeeded. And that's, you know, built into our, our RNA, our DNA. You know, th- these are yeah. uh, essential things that have been passed on that are ex- extremely useful, as we'll see in Armageddon. Yes. To be scared of things that could kill you and then do something about it as a group. Yeah, I guess it's that it doesn't make me feel closer to those other cultures. Um, well, we're in it a means way, that we're all cl- basically uh, the same, to me. Yeah. Um, but it, but it's not something that I didn't already know. Um, or is, in a way, like, regardless of whether Crazy Rich Asians, you know, plays well here or versus over there, it does, it does help me a, a understand a little bit about um, what another culture feels like. Yes, um, it does that really, really well. I think yeah. that, that was the coolest thing. The music yeah. and, and the food... And just yeah, I think I said that streets. hesitantly. I don't know yeah. why I said that hesitantly, just just for the sake of articulation. Finding the words. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, yeah. you're a beer in. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Wasn't that insightful? <laughs> but yeah, any any thoughts you have on why one is more successful? Um, well, I, I think that that's I guess. something that's implicit, um, right? We all look for snakes on the ground. There's yeah. no difference between us, but we yeah. all do it. The only people that don't are the people that were born in Antarctica, and there's none. So. There you go. Yep. I think that fear is more profitable oh, yeah. than love is kind mm. of what this comes down to. Mm. And that the Meg is a film based on fear. Yeah. And by banding together and coming to love each other and defeating mm. your fear, um, they make more profit than just focusing on love and the fears yeah. that come with love. Yeah. I agree. I think that's the story. That that's it um yeah. both of these are distributed by warner brothers mm-hmm. um different production companies but they're they both got the same distribution yep which is just kind of a interesting note yeah warner bros having a good year they are killing it with the nun this weekend <laughs> oh they are doing <laughs> damage to everyone including us they, they got horrible <laughs> life is short i love you love is forever. Will you marry me? Gracie grew up to become a full-blown hottie. You're talking about my little girl, all right? But you never know what the future holds. Until it hits. The meteor shower. This new one you're tracking. How big? It's what we call a global killer. Nothing would survive, not even bacteria. And we're back with Michael Clark Duncan. Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck, Steven Tyler's daughter herself, Arwen. And the one and only Michael Bay. MB, baby! We're talking about Armageddon, of course. Did you know this has a Criterion release? (laughs) Oh, I want it. (laughs) I want it. I was shocked when I saw that. But Him and Wes Anderson, truly kings (laughs) of the craft. (laughs) Yeah. Does The Rock have one? Do you know? That's a great question. Has The Rock gotten any films Mm-mm. through Criterion? Oh, Michael the Michael Bay film. I thought you were talking about Dwayne The Rock Johnson. No, Has I'm talking he about earned... Snake Eyes himself, Nick Cage, baby. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. Don't you know might, if it's earned that bad. Look for those at the pawn shops. Yeah, I got yeah, exactly. my Anderson Criterion collection from the pawn shop. Ah, nice. Yeah, that's where you gotta look for them. Yep. Get good deals. Armageddon box office figures. You want to start there? Let's do it. $553 million. That's a lot of dough. Do you want to take a stab at percentages? 
foreign domestic? I'm going to guess this is a little more split. Um, I'm going to say closer to 50-50 than anything else we've seen. It is the closest to 50-50 out of our titles today. But it's 36.4 domestic. Wow. 63.6 foreign. That's fascinating to me. This, uh, you know, I, I think this is like the Meg. This is that man versus mm. nature thing where um, people just wanted to watch Americans drill into a comment, dude. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is a very American movie. Oh, it movie. is. Um, it, it's celebrating the oil yeah. drillers. Absolutely, right? Like, I had a, I had a pretty concise... Has the Twin Towers. Does it have the Twin Towers? Mm-hmm. In its uh, New York mm-hmm. catastrophe scenes. Yeah. I described Armageddon as an all-American salute to male sacrifice and populist heroism. Mm. With lots of dudes... Lots of classic rock and lots of Liv Tyler looking very, very sad. Not all of that is, is is a criticism. I think the latter is the last one I mentioned um, about Liv Tyler. We oh, could talk about her I role disagree. in this. We could talk about that. I, I'm um, very particular to Liv Tyler. Gotcha. But you know, I I grew up with this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was 1998. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, kind of the heyday of like the disaster movies right i mean we still get them obviously but i also think about like independence day wasn't that around volcano late 90s um there's another one with a with elijah wood deep right? impact deep impact yeah, yeah that was around the same time as armageddon yeah. i remember that yeah like, the armageddon kind of versus deep impact yeah and conversation. Then now they've kind of died out you know we got a hurricane heist this year um we had a gerard butler one last year i don't remember the name of it though um geostorm geostorm was originally supposed to it was originally shot in 2015 or 2016, and then mm. it sat in purgatory for some reason. Um, I, I used to know why. I don't remember anymore. Yeah. Uh, we got John Cusack's 2012 a ways back. I feel like the oh, last yeah. good one of these was Jake Gyllenhaal's uh, The Day After Tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Uh, Roland Emmerich, who directed Independence Day. Mm-hmm. That's his thing. Disaster yeah, Unfortunately, uh, the Independence Day of last year was terrible. I didn't see that one. To me, this is to me. This does have such an American vibe to it that it's interesting to me that this appealed as strongly as it obviously did to foreign markets. I think um, America, at that point in it's time, an objective was objective fascination. Very, um, yeah, it's kind of like the way that we look at Hollywood mm-hmm. as a, as a nation. You know, we we over magnify it and we we make it more important than it really is. I think that a lot of um, nations, especially in the eighties and nineties, were doing the same thing with American um, entertainment. Yeah. You liked it. Four I, stars? I love this right? film. Three and a half? Yeah. Four or four? Four. Four stars. Four with the heart. With the heart. With the heart. Yeah. The heart is important. Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler, they get me. Yeah. Yeah. I was less enthusiastic about Liv Tyler's role. Why? Um, let's let's just start there. The only yeah. girl in the film will just knock this out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this, I, di- I described this as, as a very masculine film. Lots of dudes. Her being one of the few female characters. Um, we're getting many cuts when they're on the asteroid back to her at NASA. Not usually saying anything, but, you know, cuts back to her face as she's hanging out at NASA, basically. And I felt like it was trying to place the enormity of the stakes squarely onto her shoulders. Like, this was an attempt to personalize the seismic nature of the catastrophe onto one person and it didn't work for me it, it to me it, it just reduced her to something 
less than a character because she's doing so little. She looks so empty to me. Um, like I needed more from her to to feel like she could shoulder that like as a character. Do you um, not like Liv Tyler? I could hardly tell you like anything else that she's been in, but I didn't feel like it was a performance thing. It was kind of how these cuts were happening. Um, she she's used similarly in another hugely global successful film series where she plays Arwen. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about her. She's uh, yeah, one of the elves. Yes. Yeah, forgot about that. She's used very much the same way, mm. especially at the end of the film where you're going through this um time cut montage of Viggo mm. Mortensen's life as Aragorn um with her mm. um yeah. and and they're just using her empty uh vessel and and her eyes that water mm. easily and glisten. Yeah, that's to interesting. Translate I this about emotion. That. And for me, it's always worked. That's super interesting. It did work for me there, kind of in hindsight. I mean, it's been forever since I watched those movies, uh, but I don't remember it, so it being a problem for me there. For, for me, what I'm hearing you say is that you were taking that the entire impact of what is going to happen if it does happen mm-hmm. is trying to be communicated through her. And for mm-hmm. me, I was taking it as a localization of stakes, like actually grounding me in the stakes that regardless of the fact that, you know, the whole world can die. Mm-hmm. This, even if the whole world doesn't die, she's attached to every person up there. And each mm. loss actually means something to her because she knows mm. every single one of the drill team. Yeah. Which we come to learn immediately um, in, in the exposition yeah. when he gets shot in the leg. Um, yeah. That she grew up on, on the refineries and, and she's not supposed to be with one of them and all that stuff. Yeah. So to me, that just provided basic stakes for every person's life. Yeah, and um, you, you know, I I agree that they're prob that Bay is probably trying to pull off a, a little bit extra at the end when Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck have their final altercation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I don't think that it's something that you know a normal commercial piece of film would do. You know, I, I think it's just normal. Yeah, I don't know why it felt. It just felt. Um, I just responded to the use of it here a, a, a bit more strongly. I'm trying to think about some other examples, maybe of you know spectacle global well, stakes films that shoot you haven't seen those dc films right mm-mm. so i can't do like, like amy adams uh lois lane mm-mm. which uh, one like the new ones man of steel and batman versus oh uh, yeah 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 i haven't i haven't seen those um, what about like kirsten dunstan spider the toby mcguire ones mm-hmm. god it's hard to like talk about that in eight details because it's been so long since i saw those yeah well, I'm just, I'm just thinking, mm. to me, they kind of manipulate Kirsten's girlish persona and her, mm. her glistening eyes to kind of ground the stakes mm. of Spider-Man when he's fighting a big villain or could fall and die. You know, that type yeah. of stuff. I guess one example that comes to mind is Independence Day, just because I was just talking about that, sure. so that one's still in my head. Will Smith's wife? Yeah, and he yeah. has a kid. Yep. Um, we get a little more time with those characters up front. I did respond and was a little bit more involved in that family dynamic. Maybe it's something to do with how the guys on the rig are talking about their relationship to her and not as much about her relationship to them. Like, maybe I could rewatch it and, and there's something there that I'm forgetting, but um, I think maybe I needed more so, from her about what these men meant to her rather than the other way around. What, what I'm hearing is that you heard them talk about how much they care for her too much. It's not that it was too much, but I don't think I got enough from her about what these men meant to her. 
Um, gotcha. And I mean, I think I, it sort of implied. I, I think but... you're right. But yeah. I, I think that that was. I think that's a strategy for a film like this. Hmm. I think that when you title a film Armageddon, you're are already looking at a two thirds ratio at best of um, two men for every woman with a film like this. Yeah. So I think they're going to spend more time talking about um, how the masculine would feel about the feminine than how the feminine mm. would feel about the masculine. And I mm. think that you do particularly love um, feminine expressions of masculine. Yeah. And I think yeah. I do too. Yeah. Um, you know, mother again. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. Um, but I, I think that this is a, a film that does a really good job of expressing masculine feelings towards the feminine uh at a multivariant level where mm. we have like a creepy guy in steve buscemi very creepy we we have like a really earnest guy that's just doing the right thing but not really taking a side and michael clark duncan yeah yeah uh, at one point he's he picks up this giant monkey wrench and he stops bruce willis and bruce is like get the fuck out of my way and he's like all right i'm just doing my buddy a solid <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and then there's Ben Affleck, who's the romantic entanglement for, for Liv. And then there's yeah. the father, Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's no longer calling him dad. She's calling him by his name. So mm-hmm. the, there's um, there's an... I, I think that if it's worthwhile to hear how the feminine interprets the masculine, that mm-hmm. it's the same the opposite way. And I think this is one of the few films that does a good job of reinterpreting the masculine to the feminine and the mm. multiple expressions that, that has whether they're beautiful and lovely like with michael clark duncan or ben affleck or kind of creepy like with uh steve buscemi <laughs> yeah 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 i do think this genre sort of the disaster genre which i don't think the meg quite fits in um independence day is still kind of its own thing like it's kind of alien invasion but things where the stakes are global or when it encompasses mankind mm-hmm um, you know, again, thinking about Independence Day, the heroes, you know, they're Will Smith, they're Jeff Goldblum. They, at one point, consider sacrificing themselves when they don't think they're going to get out of yep. the alien spaceship in time. Um, Bill Pullman decides to jump in a plane at the end. Um, Randy Quaid, you know, he's our everyday guy in that movie. He flies it up in, into the spaceship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty masculine genre. Um, I think I am ready for an interpretation of this genre from the other perspective. Um, do, do you think that something like um, maybe there's maybe twenty weeks later w- would be more feminine mm, for you? I didn't see that one. Danny Boyle, right? No, twenty weeks, not days. Twenty eight days later is Danny mm. Boyle with Killian Murphy. Yeah, you've never seen that. Uh-uh. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to do a zombie thing. That's a really good. <laughs> We've done vampires. Movie, we can do zombies. That's a, that's a, we we might have to do like end of the world films with like Children of Men, mm. so I can rewatch that oh, for yeah. an excuse, and then um, throw in Twenty Eight Days Later and find another one. But uh, so mm. Twenty Eight Weeks Later is my earliest recollection of an actress that I love called Imogen Poots. Yeah, uh, I think she was around seventeen or eighteen at the time of its release, maybe sixteen or seventeen when it was being filmed. And she plays the big sister to a little boy. And they go, not to spoil it, but I'm going to spoil it for you. They keep making these 28 movies, these 28 themed movies, because the mm. zombies aren't all dead. Mm. That's how Wait. the zombie genre works. <laughs> so this is in the same franchise as the Danny Boyle movie. Yes. Okay, so it was 28 yeah. days, 28 weeks, and got hopefully it. we'll get 28 months soon. But, uh, so 28 weeks later is kind of her attempt to keep her brother alive. 
mm. in this zombie apocalypse and and it comes at it from more of this um you, you know it's not that it's not masculine but it's a feminine type of masculinity mm. because masculinity um as a uh kind of philosophical or, or mythological idea is more about the protectorate mm. you know and less about the um maybe the consoling i I think the feminine is a bit Mm. more consoling because the you're not often worried about a predator Mm -hmm. i think masculine often concerns itself more with predator concerns Mm -hmm. and and so in the in this format you're seeing the feminine reaction to something like that and i I think that children of men also is very very feminine and and that's you know man against nature as well so I, i do think that there are these globally appealing films they don't do as much business but i, yeah. I think that there are you know avatar i think is also kind of a feminine a- film. absolutely yeah similarly a catastrophe movie of sorts yes ultimately for sure. and the catastrophe is that. kind yeah. of a you know what is overused today but i think that the term actually yeah. fits here which is toxic masculinity yeah um for all this masculinity which it kind of sounds like i'm criticizing it's not that I'm criticizing. It's more just trying to describe what this movie, like, is. Yeah, no, um, and it is very interesting to express yeah. those. If you're going to have a movie with this many dudes, it's, like, a pretty good group of guys to be with, right? Um, we talked about, like, the introduction of characters in Crazy Rotations and how that was maybe less than super well done. Mm-hmm. There's the montage where they first run through what this crew is going to look like. Yep. That is a great montage. It like is. in five seconds, like you know everything you need to know about these guys, um, and you're like, "Yeah, looks like a good crew. Like I'm ready to do this." That's a solid, super efficient montage. It is. So for me, you are really digging this Crazy Rich Asians uh, official soundtrack. It sounds like. Yeah. Yes. Uh, mm. I've loved this Armageddon official soundtrack there since go. I was eight. This is still my favorite official soundtrack of all time. Whoa. Because I didn't grow up when Aerosmith was becoming a band. I grew up when they were already a band, and they were kind of at the end of their good songs, you know? Yeah. So this was my first exposure to almost a greatest hits collection. Yeah. And I yeah. loved it. I loved it so much. Their peak was kind of like... 80s i guess right they kind of started in the 70s mm-hmm. so by the time we saw this or in 90, 1998 when it came out you're right yeah, I if guess not this was early kind of, 90s yeah I'd, I'd say probably 94 is where they would have passed their peak yeah yeah greatest hits yeah, yeah. Makes sense. to the me crescendo it's kind of for a, a greatest hits that that's tied into emotional weight that only an eight-year-old can have for a movie that's mm. about yeah. you know things that he's concerned about you know i was concerned about asteroids and comets and yeah. whether or not I was going to accidentally step in quicksand like Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah. Also very scary. Doesn't happen Universally very often, scary. as you'll find out. <laughs> um, what I was think, your favorite moment in the film? I think that montage was a great moment. Absolute favorite moment? No, that that's just the first one that comes to mind. So like, I'll, I'll earmark that one. Um do you have any that come to mind while I think for a I, second? I have an absolute favorite. Um, it's this scene that happens around the middle where they, the federal troops, you, they never really specify exactly if it's FBI or DEA or who they're using. I'd assume it's FBI. Begin to round up everyone. Mm, yeah. And yeah. Michael Clark Duncan gets on his motorcycle. Mm. And he drives through some police barricades. 
and that's, that's right. just that's my favorite moment that's yeah by far mm-hmm. my favorite moment i think i liked when they were being put up in the jets yes. to get the feel for what it'll be like up in space i enjoyed that quite a bit steve buscemi being like hey man take it easy this is my first time all right you can just picture him saying that yep. <laughs> um yeah it's a fun crew um i think i'm less enthusiastic about ben affleck here than you are um he's not my favorite of the bunch i would put a probably oh, ben affleck's not my favorite mm. but he's he's very much an empty vessel to me mm-hmm. here that i can i'm not i it's almost like i'm able to project myself into him mm. and become him in the film mm. especially when i was younger mm. and and i felt young and stupid like he often behaves yeah. like i was smart like i did end up making the correct decision and i would have luck and gravity would work out that way so i could do these evil can evil jumps yeah i could see that i think i probably connected more with bruce willis here um i actually really like bruce willis here um, no, not that i dislike him in other ones but uh just super did, solid. did you watch this when it came out so from my recollection when this came out there was i always sort of pit this against independence day as two global catastrophe movies um and i was always in the independence day camp um but you know i I had fun with it this time around okay so you're saying that you divided films into camps when you were five not camps but i do remember just independence day having those two Oh, yeah, pretty close together. But, I mean, we're talking about when we're five and when we're eight. Or seven. Five and seven. I remember seeing Independence Day in the theater. I don't remember seeing Armageddon in the theater. Because I remember, yeah, I remember being terrified in Independence Day. When the alien pops open, yep. my dad always says, oh, yeah, yeah, you were scared shitless. So, yeah, I mean, I think, like... So, you, you don't have um, an emotional attachment to this film? No, I don't remember okay. watching it when I was And little. you you yeah. might to Independence Day. Is what definitely, I'm definitely. Yeah. So for me, I have an emotional attachment to this. Yeah, I think it's just And therefore, I'm here. entirely unable to make an unbiased decision. Because I'm talking about yeah. something that I watched when I was seven, and that I'm watching now when I'm 27. Yeah. It, and it, mm. it's not... I, I can't really separate how I originally felt. You know, the nostalgia yeah. is hard with this. It's like watching... Oh, yeah. uh, force awakens where half the pleasure comes from nostalgia yeah i've probably i think this is the second time i've ever seen it i've watched okay. independence day probably 20 times yeah no this um, is more like ask my dad it's probably the 60th time i've seen this film. yeah i've probably watched it every goddamn weekend <laughs> i think it's two and a half hours right yeah it moves like it's just incredibly paced right mm-hmm. like it i don't think that there is a slow i don't think it drags for a minute um, no, it's a nice um, slow elevation of we get the um, the I think there's a, a kind of a cloud of asteroids that come down mm. and provide uh, kind of an inciting incident for us. And, and then we're introduced to all these characters kind of like in Crazy Rich Asians. But instead yeah. of it being too much, they always um, dispense of the extra characters. Yeah. Almost immediately and reground us. Yeah. So really good. At- who, who's your favorite supporting actor that didn't go you know like my favorite's michael clark duncan but i i think that the argument for the best supporting actor might be different than your favorite so who's the best supporting actor it's really hard not to say steve buscemi oh, even okay. though he's such a sleaze 
like it, oh, you he's feel a very convincing you feel guilty series. saying that, yeah. right? But like he just inhabits it so well. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't tell you the actor who plays the Russian guy. Yeah. Um, but I think he's sort of a welcome change in in character feel, right? Yes. Uh, otherwise, like the rest of the world is sort of like conspicuously absent from this film. Um, we get those shots of like other countries, um, being destroyed and. Or we hear a narration Crane. where they tell us that all these other nations are also working on this project with us. Do they say that? Yeah. They, really? They Why do we that, never see them? They, because, you know, it's the 90s. Yeah. There's yeah. no internet yet. There's no uh, social consciousness that worries about representation or any of these things. Yeah. Um, I thought he was fun. Um, so the best, not your favorite, but the best. Who do you think the best supporting actor is? Probably Steve Buscemi. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of question myself as I say that only because I know him the best, but I but I do think he's the one who has stuck in my mind um, the most, especially as he gets space dementia towards mm-hmm. the end. Um, just you know, kind of strapped to that funny chair. to watch him lose it. They're like, "Yep, you're done. You're sitting tight." It's kind of <laughs> like the drunk friend you gotta pin down. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yep, we're taking you out of the game, man. Um. <laughs> so you like the Buscemi brothers this year? <laughs> Who was the other Buscemi brother? Oh, Black Klansman, right? Yep, Michael right. Buscemi. He was solid. Um, Michael Clark Duncan was was great. I'm trying to remember like who else there was. There was the other overweight white guy um, mm-hmm. who, who I liked. Um, no complaints. Just not a personal favorite, maybe. I'm trying to remember who else kind of who else kind of filled out the cast. Remember anybody uh, else for the asteroid crew? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is the one NASA guy who pulls the pistol out towards the end and is ready to hit the override button or something like that and sort of take power away from Bruce Willis and team. It's kind of a good little counterpoint to the rest of the group. William Fichter. He's the... The shotgun-toting bankman mm. in The Dark Knight. Yeah. Peter Stormare is the Russian. And then oh, we totally... get Owen Wilson, Will Patton, Keith David, Jason Isaacs, Charlton Heston makes a brief appearance, mm. Eddie Griffin as the bike messenger. Classic I liked Billy Bob. Yeah, Billy Bob's our NASA my... guy. He was your favorite? No, I think he's the best. Michael mm. Clark Duncan is my favorite, but I think that mm. he's the best. I think he provides a certain amount of respectability and emotional grounding. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It's really Liv Tyler and how that character is kind of handled. That That's my biggest weak link uh, that maybe I could try to recontextualize on a different view. And it, didn't, it just didn't. Did you just right. need another Animal Crackers scene? I don't know that that helped, but... With some cheese whiz. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> um, There's nothing sexy about cheese whiz. So this is distributed by Buena Vista. Um, this is a Bruckheimer film, which I believe Independence Day might have been also. Now that I think Very well it. could have been. So similarities here. Huge cast. Mm-hmm. Against nature, like the Meg. Um, and like Crazy Rich Asians, it's basically, other than Michael Clark Duncan, all one race. Yeah. Any thoughts on why it did as well internationally as domestically? I think it's because it's easy to get behind and easy to understand. Yeah. You know, it's there's a, a skeezy guy. Everybody knows a skeezy guy. Everybody knows mm-hmm. a great guy that's kind of a teddy bear, even though he's huge and built like a goddamn brick wall. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bruce Willis, I think, translates easily. Ben Affleck, like I said, an empty yeah. vessel. 
I think Liv Tyler is very much like an empty vessel romantically where, you know, it's easy to see why she's beautiful and, and mm. yeah. um, her, I think her eyes convey quite a bit of emotion. Yeah. So I, I just think that it's kind of an easy translation for any audience and, and it's a yeah. basic story that no one's not going to understand. I think that's yeah. some of why deeper cinema doesn't translate well because yeah, it's hard to, to grasp with. I think you know you you see yeah. that in films that are reviewed so startlingly by by different people. Um, right now, we're seeing Burning get a five or a one and a half. We're seeing Madeline's mm. Madeline get a one and a half or or a five. Yeah. Last year, we saw it comes at night get fives and and halves. Yeah. Um, we we saw Mother get zeros. Yeah. Or fives. Yeah. yeah. It's. I I think it's one of those things that treads the middle like the Meg, but unlike the Meg. Um, has it has really good pacing and yeah i think that might be yeah. part of it the pace yeah yeah something like just poor construction is is not going to do it when you are trying to build a broadly appealing film i mm -hmm. think no matter what culture you put it in front of if it's ill-paced if the acting is poor i think those things do matter so i think the pacing plays a big role here as well as just the simplicity of the narrative asteroid is headed towards earth we're gonna nuke it that's it we just gotta nuke it and we're done it's pretty easy to live on earth and care about that idea pretty much yeah which really sort of leaves it to the director to make it an interesting experience which i think he does kind of set piece wise mm -hmm. um i think it's a pretty visually exciting and interesting movie especially um, when we're in the rover on when we're finally in space and yeah. he's got to make that evil Knievel jump. I, I yeah. found that pretty gripping. Yeah. Steve Buscemi calls the nightmare something like, you know, Dr. Seuss's nightmare or something like that. I'm like, yeah, that this thing looks terrible. That's exactly <laughs> what I would describe this as. Um, like, a again, really simple kind of design, but effective nonetheless. And easy to translate and interpret. Spiky and daunting. I mean, I was seven and I loved it so yeah. and i'm 27 and i love it so i i think it translates yeah i think that's yeah. what that means it translates yeah i mean we talked about it a little bit but it's like it has to be you know simple enough to to appeal to a broad age there's nothing here that you know a young a young kid couldn't understand um well there's some things like that strip club scene but <laughs> sexuality wise yeah and i do think um that's one thing that the meg very carefully avoids which is kind of interesting there yes. is a shirtless scene with jason jason statham and yes. she says oh you're naked but and then she's leering at him from behind the hole i think as well mm, yeah and but then there's some uh midriff shots you know the classic midriff um yeah. when they're showing extra characters on the boats yeah yeah, but it really like it really toes the line, mm -hmm. unlike Armageddon, um, which is Michael Bay and all of his Victoria's Secret fashion show shooting ecstasy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we're talking specifically about Asia, which you know obviously is a big market, but like you know more country specific. Like I like I just I don't know. I wouldn't profess to know like how some of that sexuality would hit in different countries, but it it does seem like the the Meg is particularly safe in how it plays it. Yes. Um, and the Armageddon is not particularly restrained, but succeeded nonetheless. So it's very uh, atypical <laughs> for Americanism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's very yeah. much just uh, beer, working oil rigs, and girls. Yeah. 
Enough said. Yeah. That's my <laughs> That's about it. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I nailed it. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, you gave it a four. I gave it a three and a half. Nostalgia plays hard. In time, you will know what it's like to lose. To feel so desperately that you're right, yet to fail all the same. Dread it. Run from it. Destiny still arrives. So should we hop over to the highest grossing film 20 years later? This year, 2018. We have arrived at Avengers Infinity War. Directed by the Russo brothers, correct? Correct. Featuring an army of actors and actresses. <laughs> yes. Uh, the true army, though, if we are going to speak in these types of platitudes, are the visual effects artists. Ooh. Them are the heroes. <laughs> <laughs> we are coming at this from very different angles. You having seen this five times? Mm-hmm. Including that showing, yeah. In every installment in the franchise? At least twice. No, at least once, because I only saw... Uh, that bad Doctor Strange movie once. Mm, yeah. I saw three to five of the film's predecessors, and this was my first time watching it. Yeah, I think this is number 22. If I think Ant-Man's in the Wasp is 23, so I think there's 22 films, so you saw mm. less than a fourth, probably, of the films leading up to this. Yeah. You saw the film immediately preceding it, though, Black Panther. I did, um, and then which saw, I was really hoping was going to play a bigger role, just so I knew what was it, going it on. It did play a, a little bigger bit. role by the end. Um, so you saw Iron Man, the first film in the series. I did. I saw the first Thor. Mm-hmm. Kenneth Branagh. I think I saw the second Iron Man as well, actually. Okay. So both uh, both were Favreau, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Both Favreau's films, and then Kenneth Branagh's, and then... Um, mm, yeah shoot ryan coogler's black panther and now the russo brothers avengers infinity war part of doctor strange but not the whole thing not enough to really take much from it um yeah i think you asked me um what the sanctum sanctorum was beforehand or who benedict mm, yeah would be (laughs) yeah similar to armageddon despite this army of characters pretty simple narrative even for the never seen a film with the hulk uh no well i think i might have saw the first avengers because i've definitely seen something with mark ruffalo in it okay there was some there was avengers there, i know God, there, there have been multiple Marvel's avengers movies the avengers was that is From that Joss what Sweden? the first one That's was the called first one 2009 i think who was the villain in that maybe it's 2012 uh the villain in that was aliens from space Seems or it possible. was loki might have been Loki. I've definitely that. seen Mark Ruffalo. I he was familiar to me. So Hulk was in yeah. Avengers. So yeah, that that's yeah. where the transition from Edward Norton to Mark Ruffalo happens. Yeah. So the way I put this in my review was that it was like walking into a party and not knowing anybody. And walking into a party six minutes after it started and not knowing anybody. Exactly. Because Some familiar you came faces. In, uh, <laughs> did you come in after Heimdall killed? I don't know who that is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you came in, shoot, when Thanos was leaving space. 
with his smorgasbord of baddies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it was just so, as he was getting ready to leave wherever they were. So. so you saw him kill Loki? Yes. Okay. Before that, he kills Heimdall, which is Idris Elba. Oh, got it. Okay. I know Idris Elba. But again, we talked about narrative simplicity. Thanos wants all five Infinity Stones. The Avengers got to stop him. And why does he want all five Infinity Stones? Because that gives him lots of power. That's as That's much. That's absolutely incorrect. You did not pay attention <laughs> to the film. You are letting me down greatly in your film criticism at the moment. Do you do you know what happened when he snapped his fingers? At the end? Yes. We are uh, gonna spoil this. Everybody started dying. Oh no! They ceased to exist. Yeah, they started. They started disintegrating. Yes. Yeah. They didn't actually get killed. They just never existed. Or, or yeah, you know that's mm, kind of the okay. basic idea that they're broken down at like a molecular level um, and decayed instead of um, having to suffer. I guess. Mm. Um, but but it's the idea. The goal for him is to neutrally kill half the population. Neutrally, what do you mean? Um, w- without, you know, splitting people up into groups like Nazis would. Mm. And, and exterminating some and not others because of race or gender or something uh, like mm. that. N- neutral as in just kill half randomly mm. based on an algorithm, essentially. Mm. Let half live randomly. Got it. Yeah. Um, and and that's illustrated within the film when we should see these flashbacks of young Gamora on yeah. her home planet, and they separate them, and then one side mm. is ordered is given the executive kill order, and one side isn't. Yeah, that's that's the thing, so that he can snap his fingers because when we have that final encounter with him on his home planet, yeah, and he, he tells us about what happened, he doesn't want what happened on his planet to happen to the rest of the universe. Got it. And he's the only one that is willing to shoulder this burden. He wants the division to be arbitrary of who dies and who lives. Yes. Got it. The Avengers fall in the death camp. No. Right? Don't all of them die? Except, uh, well. Except the originals. Samuel L. Jackson, Kobe Smolders. I don't know that character's name, but as well as Captain Marvel, I assume. No, no, no. Uh, Kobe Smulders and Samuel Jackson disintegrate at the end. Oh, yeah, you're right. That was just the after credit sequence, yeah. but then they... And then well before died. that, we, we see basically half the Avengers disintegrate, and it's yeah. essentially the half that isn't the original Avengers. Got it. So all the newer yeah. introduced characters, Benedict Cumberbatch is Doctor Strange, uh, what's the kid's name, Spider-Man... And yeah. all those Iron Man's still around. Disintegrate, yeah. and then we get Tony Stark. Still, we still get Steve Rogers. We, we still gotcha. have the Hulk. We still have Scarlett Johansson. We all those gotcha. people yeah, still yeah. live. Yeah, you're right. Got it. You're right. It is tricky. Paying super close attention, like to just narrative momentum, like like was just hard. Like I'm yeah, I'm no. more focused, kind of like on set pieces, um, and the the moment moment feel just just because I just was not expecting to have any sense of relationship dynamics or character histories or anything like that what it does is it pays off 21 previous stories yeah all at once yeah uh quite effectively but that's a big 
statement. That is a full day's worth of watching. That's more than most TV. Do you, no, that's do you more think it earned it? That's more than a day. 22 hours or 24 hours in a day. No, 22 films. Oh, 22 films. Got it. Yeah, yeah, You're right. Okay. Much yeah, more than a day. more like four yeah. days, dude. Correct. So you think <laughs> it, it earned the the payoff was, was worth it? I'm... I mean, would you, would next you do year, it all over again? Next year, no, because they're going to undo <laughs> all of it, right? Next year, yeah. they're going to undo everything that we just watched. But right now is a really fun time to be mm. in this universe and know that, you know, half of them just died. They killed Samuel Jackson before he could say motherfucker in a Disney movie. You yeah. know, it's a fun, it. it's a, just a fun moment. Um, I don't know how, you know, Captain Marvel and the next one's going to shake out. You know, as much as I didn't like Black Panther, I'm glad it's there. And, and yeah. I think that it oh, was yeah. a, a worthy... Uh, I think it's it's definitely deserving of having a place in the universe. It's just I gravitate more towards those Ant-Man films just because they're mm. basically comedies. Oh, yeah, Ant-Man isn't here, right? No, he's Where in was Ant-Man? I saw Ant-Man. Him and uh, Jeremy Renner are in house arrest at this point in time. Mm. Got it. Because okay. of the Paris Accords? Or something like that, which is where the superheroes agree to reveal themselves and no longer be heroes to avoid mm. jail time, and they gotta go under house arrest. I don't remember exactly why. It's Paul Rudd's just following the rules. Yep, him and uh, Jeremy Renner. Yeah, I like that. I can respect that. But basically, huge cast, diverse cast, mm-hmm. go all over the world, go all over space. What's interesting is you'd never seen Guardians of the Galaxy is correct no no so that's kind of almost one third of the film yeah minimum because of, of the the emotional gravitas that uh zoe saldana's gamora is bringing yeah yeah it's really sort of like amongst this large cast of characters who am i kind of like most interested in who would i kind of like want to spend the most time with who were you the most interested in um thor it's probably just the characters that I didn't know, to be honest, right? No. It's the ones that I am was most attached to already. I, Not that I was attached, well, but... That's that's a worthy criticism for me, because Thor is the character I'm most attached to. Classically, mm. that was when his movie came out. That was the movie that I had to see that opening day. Mm. No matter what, that was the one that I'd been waiting for a long time yeah. um, to get my Norse hero in a movie. Mm. Um, yeah. But I, I think that he is the funnest character in the last couple of years because mm. of the growth. I I liked the second one, though. Most people hate the second mm. one. Yeah, yeah. But Ragnarok had had some pretty good backers behind it. I didn't enjoy it. Once we exit through the Devil's Butthole, which unfortunately you don't get to know Ooh, what that means. I don't know what that is, but I'm intrigued. Oh, it's, it's kind of like a black hole in a star. <laughs> Got it. It's called the Devil's Butthole. It's great. Like it. Um, also, one of your favorite actors from Independence Day, um, Mr. Chest, Chest Hair himself is a yeah. is a king. You That's get right. Kate Blanchett. Yeah, you a big also cast. get an actress you liked previously this year, and sorry to bother you, and Tessa Thompson. No, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, yeah, she plays a Valkyrie. It's it's solid. a pretty solid film, and you also get yeah. Mark Ruffalo's Hulk. Do you have to have seen The Dark World to appreciate it? Not at all. It's very Not much like a standalone. That's nice. Uh, but it. I, it's kind of I, I think that other than Guardians of the Galaxy, it plays the most into what ends up happening in mm. this film. Yeah. Um, as far as Hulk or Mark Ruffalo's character, Bruce Banner, not being able to transform into Hulk and how that affects mm. what comes to pass and then why Thor is without an eye at the beginning yeah. and why he has to go get this new um, Stormbreaker axe. 
Yeah. From yeah. the giant dwarf. Yeah, his intensity was maybe the most uh, credible and persuasive for me, but that's perhaps just because I do have a little bit of a little bit more familiarity with him. Um, same so with Iron Man. So should we rank our crystals? Are we going to do this? We might have to. We're going to pause and rank our crystals? We might just do it live. From New York, it's Rank Your Chris's. <sighs> All right, got to prepare Seattle, myself. <laughs> shake it out, shake it out. All right, so we got Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pine, Chris Pratt, Chris O'Dowd. Who's the other Chris? Mm. There's five Chris's. Messina? No. Did you say Messina? No, we can't have Messina. We have to go off film spottings, Chris's. Oh, I thought he was in there. No. No, he didn't make the cut. He didn't make the cut. Ah, that's going to throw a wrench in my planning here. Chris, Chris Evans. Yes, Chris Evans is Steve Rogers. Oh, Captain America. Yes. Got it. Okay. Uh, would you like to go first? All or right. second? I'll, I'll go first. So you have a second. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, number one. Thor. Yep. Got it. Um... Chris Pine number two. Chris Pine number two. Chris O'Dowd number three. Mm. Uh, Chris Evans number four. Chris Pratt number five. Okay, we have some, some some similarities here. Chris Pratt would be my number five. I might jump around here. Chris Pine would be my number one. Chris Hemsworth would be my number two. You haven't seen Black Hat, that's why. Mm, yeah, that's true. Chris Evans would be my number three. Chris O'Dowd would be number four. But you're, you're not an IT crowd fan yet. I'm not. I'll I am less there. familiar with his work. I'll get um, you there. But that's interesting. So, continuing with Inventors and talking about Chris Pratt, are you a mm-hmm. fan of him in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and this one? Because I was not a fan of him here at all. Um, in this, he's terrible. The Russo brothers have admitted that they tried to... Um, use an emotional backbone that hadn't been fully developed by james gunn yet and now Mm. it never will be because james gunn has left the project unfortunately uh at disney's insistence and unless taika waititi were to take over i don't know that i want to see another guardians film yeah uh taika did the thor ragnarok film previously but with, with chris pratt he's at his best when i i think he was at his best when he was fat yeah because he was uh, more goofy and eccentric then, and he wasn't worried about his image. Yeah. And I think that now um, he, he's just kind of shifted since he's kind of become a Hollywood star into a performer yeah. that I don't gravitate towards as much. Yeah. I still appreciate that he's, you know, able to do what he's able to do, that he works as hard as he does. Um, but I don't know. It might be too big for him. Mm. Yeah. You know, that's never fun to say, but... When you make Jennifer Lawrence seem kind of bad in, in a film, I I think that mm. maybe the onus can be put on to you. Because mm. she hadn't really been bad in a film since, like, 2013, I want to say. Yeah. Until last year's, uh, what was that called that he was in with her? Passengers. Passengers. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. She wasn't bad, but it was the first time that her role kind of got there for me. Wasn't good. I, I know other people didn't like Joy, but that was the first time for me that her performance broke down. Yeah. in a serious way um and i yeah I, I don't know that he's um 
suited for non-sitcom acting. I think that yeah. that's almost a compliment, though. To me, he's more of a Ted Danson. I could not agree more. That sounds like it's derogatory or something to say, like, he should stick with sitcoms. Like, I cannot tell you how much joy his character brought me on Parks and Rec and how much I prefer him in that mode. Yes. Um, I, I just don't think he has the charisma to carry a film in the way he's trying to here. Um, not that he's carrying it. There's an army, as we've said. But I just could not connect with his level of confidence that he's trying to project it just felt kind of painful to watch it in a way and disappointing to me he needs the hobie doyle treatment mm. from the studio he needs to be uh retooled his image needs to be retooled yeah and maybe he needs to uh you know just be transferred into more of a of a goofy um waspy type of a character for alex ross perry perhaps yeah oh that's interesting um yeah, I was almost thinking more about like how Channing Tatum's career has kind of gone. He's retained his appeal, his sex appeal, right? Like, I think there are plenty of women who find him attractive. I think it's hard to take away the sex appeal of someone like him and Ryan Gosling. To take take it away? Yeah, I, I don't know that you can take away their sex appeal. Mm-hmm. I think there's something about them that is just sexy. Yeah. You know, like, Gosling did Lars and the Real Girl yeah yeah and they still think that he's super hot after drive and only god forgives yeah his directorial debut that everyone hates essentially besides like me and four other Mm. people on the internet yeah um there's just something kind of quintessentially sexy i think about probably the cut of their chins and and the their frames just their very bone structure that maybe Chris Pratt has, but I don't think that he has that when he performs, and I think they do when they mm. perform. Yeah, we don't get many shirtless people in Avengers, unlike, say, Jason Statham in The Meg. No, I'm trying to think about like if sex appeal does play a role in these movies. Um, what it would role be the does skin type mm-hmm. clothing choices yeah. for its costume um, design. Yeah, for them, yeah, you know, like I think some people. Uh, complain that Scarlett Johansson is overly sexualized or that mm. uh, Elizabeth Olsen's Scarlet Witch is overly sexualized but I also think that um, if, if you were to make that comparison then you'd have to make it for T'Challa oh yeah you'd have to make it for Steve Rogers I think that yeah. it's kind of equally sexually uh, magnifying these these characters yeah and I yeah. think that you should you know we're, yeah. we're talking about a film with a 400 million dollar budget yeah yeah you know um people want to look at things that they find visually appealing that's how you make money yeah i mean i think there are there is more superhero stories out there perhaps where physique is deprioritized but like shazam what is shazam because when you say that i'm thinking of the shaquille o'neal movie which no. I don't think is what you're referring to. Shazam is a DC film. It's going to okay. be coming out with the uh, actor from Chuck. Oh, yeah. Do you okay. remember the Fox Chuck series? Yeah. Um, he bulked up. Mm, okay. And has a startling physique. And basically, mm. a young boy can say the word Shazam and turn into kind mm. of a macho man G.I. Joe type that is impervious mm. to bullets. But and that sounds like physique does play a role. 
It does. Okay. okay. Yeah, no, I, I was mocking you, but now oh, I'm explaining. Oh, I see. <laughs> now I'm with the joke. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, this is just a comic book nerd making fun of a non-comic book nerd. Got it. That makes <laughs> a lot of sense. I'm kind of thinking about, like, Samuel L. Jackson's character in uh, Unbreakable. And Glass. Glass, yeah. Mr. Glass, yeah. Um, but I think that physique does play a role there, um, just in the opposite context. Right, right. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, physique is still, like, a conspicuous trait, but it's it's reversed, right? Well, um, no, it's a... I, I mean, maybe with the way that you're looking at it, but for me, because I, I know what that comic book universe world that he's building is yeah. he's taking a stance on physiques yeah and he's using uh incredibly dominant masculine physique in james mcavoy and bruce willis and then bruce willis he's using a dad bod. yeah and then he's using kind of a weakling in um mm-hmm. in samuel jackson's role yeah no, I, I don't think bruce willis is uh masculinized too much I, I think that the idea yeah. of him is, but I, I think that his his actual look yeah. is very just normal, average Joe dad. He wears a poncho yeah. for much of Unbreakable. He's as demascul- demasculized as Bruce Willis can be, I guess. I, I think, mean, I think it's properly pronounced demasculinized. There but, uh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just got off on male bodies for. <laughs> <laughs> Channing Tatum's hot. What else can we say? <laughs> the end. <laughs> um, we were talking about Chris Pratt um, mm-hmm. and whether or not he's effective here. Um, and it sounds like we were both in agreement that he's not so effective. Yeah, it's really hard with him, though, because he's being asked to provide, I think, what you thought Liv Tyler was being asked to provide in Armageddon. Mm. And I don't, I don't know that. I think that even you don't know if that's truly what she was being asked of, or if that's what you were projecting onto it. It's just what I felt. Whereas with Chris Pratt, he was being asked to have a relationship with Zoe Saldana that would provide a reason for why the Avengers would fail when they had already essentially won mm. because he cared for someone so much, and the previous two films did not build up to that point they didn't build up to Mm. such a point yeah everything else about the guardians of the galaxy absolutely believable rocket Groot, drax mantis exactly how they go nebula fed into her character perfectly nebula was the girl being tortured by thanos uh who's played by karen oh yeah one one moment that actually hit me pretty hard i felt that quite a bit yeah yeah she's a great yeah, and it's just one of the more visceral images mm-hmm. um, for me. Yeah, yeah, when when you come in and it's kind of 2D, like she's just a normal person, then we spin to sideways, and she's stretched and all her parts are broken down. So yeah. something that you don't know is that um, she was originally just a normal girl, mm. and Thanos began to um, cut her body apart Ooh. and insert things because Gamora was so much better than her. And he wanted her to be able to compete with Gamora. They're both his daughters. And so there's there's an interesting um, contrast of these two characters, of Mm. Gamora and Nebula, that you didn't get to see. You just got to see them and their sisterly bond. Yeah. 
which yeah. is not at all how the other films were presented. They're essentially enemies for the previous two films. Yeah. Yeah, for a movie where a lot of, for a lot of the fight sequences, it's hard for me to kind of understand, like, what hurts and what doesn't. Um, that's one instance where um, it was pretty visceral. I was Agony. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, good moment. Overall, I don't have a lot more to say. Any, any, no. uh, we basically thoughts. skipped um, the entire like New York sequence. We we've skipped yeah. the uh, your experience with Spider Man for the first time, um, the Sanctum right. Sanctorum, whether or not you think uh, the stakes are real, um, hmm. whether or not uh, the Scarlet Witch and that entire sequence played out for you, whether they were in Edinburgh or in um, shoot, where's the African country? What's that called? Wakanda. Wakanda. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that Is this the a Meg lot. For of, you? Uh, I think I give it a slightly lower score than the Meg. Yeah, um, but you know what? I, just general indifference. Pretty much. Um. So you I never mean, got a spine tingle. No, I got more spine tingling from the Meg than I think than this movie, where a lot of the action sequences um left me a little too confused about kind of what hurts and what doesn't what a punch feels like i think there to me it's tough with movies that sort of um up the stakes to a point that um it's hard for me to relate to um and you um so for everyone that's seen all the films yeah we know who's more powerful than who yeah there's a reason yeah. why at the end when they open the gate um in the um open the gate you know, mm. they they opened the gate in Wakanda. Mm -hmm. Do you remember who were the fastest men in the battlefield? As they start charging at each other, mm -hmm. I can tell you who's at the front of the line. See that that's like a critical moment that um, I, I think you have to be more invested in these characters, not just necessarily having seen them, but I think you do have to care about them. I think it does yeah. these films when they're at their best. I think that the audience is, or at least I'm doing a sort of hero worship. Mm. where I'm getting something that someone that's just as familiar might not get just because they don't care as much. But it's yeah. T'Challa and Steve Rogers that are the fastest. Yeah. Because the, yeah. one of them um, is injected with a serum and one of them performs a, a ritual to literally mm. change their, their biome to become otherworldly. Yeah. And they are the most powerful characters on the battlefield until you get a literal god. Yeah, Thor. yeah. I guess I'm not terribly interested in like going back and doing the work to get invested in this because I think I had the same kind of problems with some of the films that I have seen. Like I think I had that same problem with Black Panther um, where the action sequences don't feel terribly emotional to me. Um, I had that problem with um, Captain America Civil War mm. and Black Panther. Yeah. Black Panther didn't work for me either, and neither did Captain America Civil War, which is a previous Rousseau Brothers film. Yeah. No, it, yeah. It, it's interesting. It's, um, I don't I think you should watch something like Spider-Man Homecoming. And, and mm. if you can be invested in that, then I'd, you know, start with that, go to Ant-Man, if you like that, Ant-Man and the Wasp, you know, kind of go with mm. your tendencies. But I think that someone like you would have to like Spider-Man Homecoming because everything is grounded nothing has super otherworldly stakes everything's smartly yeah. directed you get michael keaton as a bird man yeah, his character yeah, is yeah. vulture i've heard about him um, yeah 
and it, it's just I, th- I think really well done yeah so I, I, I think those human uh, stories you'd gravitate towards yeah absolutely one movie that we haven't talked about which box office wise may have uh, earned a place in the conversation had we just gone a different direction with Mission Impossible Fallout. Yes, um, but we that, already talked about it. We did already talk about it. Um, I think if there is something about broadly appealing action-based cinema, that's probably what I'm going to gravitate towards first of versus comic book movies. Do where you think the, that the pain if, feels more relatable. Do you think if Tom didn't do his own stunts, you would find it that way? Absolutely. I've never cared about that there's so much talk that is to me that is purely extra textual to me it's choreography that has always meant that's that's always barely meant a thing to me um you say that but i think that if it was stunt work you wouldn't see the same shots you're seeing in the film that ground you with tom and and his risks because you're never Mm. not really seeing him i think that Mm. provides an extra layer of grounding because i'm not really seeing him because you're never not seeing it. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm just talking about the end result, regardless of, of the means to the end. Um, you know, if a same film can achieve that a same effect and not have an actor do their all their own, their own stunt work, then it doesn't matter. Okay. Right? Um, so, to me, it's beside the point. It's interesting. For the sake of just learning about films, how films are made, learn film history, like, that's fun to know. That's fun to learn. But the experience itself um if you can do everything you can do in avengers and not have to have all these actors play with tennis balls then it doesn't matter um you know it's the immediate experience that counts so the um the more human it is Mm. the easier it is for you whereas the more um demigod and and full god that it gets Mm. the harder it is for you to find the emotional weight and stakes in yeah I think so. Okay. Which is interesting because I don't think I fully teased this out. Lord of the Rings is something pretty different where I I very much feel those movies. But we are talking about similarly very large stakes and sort of abstract characters like a Sauron, you know, Um, where I really do feel emotionally involved in those stories. Which I think is somewhere, you know, between what a comic book movie does, what something like Mission Impossible does, you know, it's more in this fantasy realm. That's sort of a different kind of experience. Um, it's probably a different episode. Well, what, what I'm hearing is that um, you find Lord of the Rings more grounding. Definitely. Than yeah. a very similar film in Avengers, in Avengers Infinity War and yeah. in, in its idea. Yeah. And I think the reason for that is because all of those characters are essentially human and the extra yeah. human characters are hemmed to the edges like a Ben Foster character. Yeah, yeah. And instead of you looking at them like you look at Thanos the whole time as a normal yeah. person, they're yeah. like a good shark. They're under yeah. the water. You only see the eye. You only see the fin. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it's more about what you don't see than what you do see. Whereas you see a in lot shadow. in Avengers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, you know, kind of an interesting distinction mm-hmm. i think um but i don't know enough about the marvel franchise to know like what's going to happen after this next avengers movie um if we're just going to keep going this seems like an apex are I we fully think, expecting to continue on i think they're gonna kill 
at least Steve Rogers, probably two other characters and bring back everyone. So like three mm-hmm. characters are going to sacrifice themselves to take down Thanos mm-hmm. in a time warp continuum or something. And then um, because you haven't seen Ant-Man and the Wasp, you don't know about the quantum realm yet, Yeah, um, which will certainly play into it. Um, but y- yeah, it's basically just going to recycle and continue. We stay with it. It depends on how long A-List continues offering IMAX. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you hear that, AMC? <laughs> no. Regal, you got competition. <laughs> um, so who's your who's your favorite character uh, that is non-CG, and then who's your favorite CG character? Thor is my non- favorite non-CG character. My favorite CG character, can you list some of them for me? my own recollection you got, Groot, you got nebula you got thanos you got rocket rocket is the raccoon bradley right? cooper yeah probably the raccoon i was like that guy seems pretty cool we got the same duo do you yeah oh nice okay yep. see yep. after all that we came out <laughs> with some similar choices we we ended up liking <laughs> the same chris and we ended up uh both liking a star is born yep yep there we are and the rocket himself yeah I could see him being fun in the other movies. So this is the highest uh, earning film of the year. Mm. I think it's number four all time. Let me check here. Five. No, four. Yeah, so we got Avatar, 2.7 billion. Closer to 2.8, really. Titanic, 2.2. Star Wars Force Awakens, 2. Bill. Avengers, also 2. To Bill. All uh, pretty goddamn crazy. Yeah. The next closest is Jurassic World at 1.67. Which you were not a fan of, correct? The original I thought was better than this. Oh, one. not Fallen Kingdom. Not Fallen Kingdom. The other one. The other yeah. one, yeah. Yeah. And um, then all the way down, really far down, no money at all. Number nine is Black Panther with 1.34. 1.34 billion. Barely any money. It's <laughs> a lot of dough. So, um,. What's similar about all these is they're all really easy to interpret. They all mm-hmm. have large casts, whether we're talking about what we just talked about or, or these highest earning ones. Yeah. Large casts, computer effects, ahead of their time, some would say, um, and a very easy to latch on emotional stake. Yeah. You know, whether, whether or not you think that um, Armageddon has human stakes that are really grounding, I think that you'd agree that the implicit destruction of mankind grounds you immediately. And most o- typical audiences. It's a scary thing for most people. Yeah. Um, do you have budgets on there as well or no? I have budgets for the films that we have discussed. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. What was the most expensive? You want to take a guess? Between the Meg, Armageddon, and Crazy Rich Asians? And Avengers. Oh, I'm going to go with Avengers. You want to guess how much? Uh, $300 million? The low end is 316, the high end is 400 million. That's one of the few films on Wikipedia mm. that had a range of a budget. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. Um, yeah. You want to guess the next closest? Armageddon? No, the Meg? Mm-hmm. It's got mm. a range of 130 to 178, whereas Armageddon comes in at 140. Mm. Interesting. Okay. And $110 million beneath that at a very small, paltry sum of only $30 million as Crazy Rotations. Mm. Yeah. 
it's interesting. I mean, I, I think you'd absolutely see a relationship between uh, budget and box office mm-hmm. if you were to do that in general, as well as just how big each of these goes, right? Um, I think they all went wide immediately, but you know, I think that I think that I've read that that's the number one indicator is if they how wide. many how many screens you open on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the best indicator of, of success. Yeah, I I think Phantom Thread's a weird case where. I don't know mm. if it really mm. made that much, but I, I love that release strategy where it built up anticipation mm. slowly and deliberately. Yeah. On a different episode where we're just hating ourselves, maybe we could go with, like, blockbuster misfires. Oh, gosh. Like uh, Jupiter Ascending. I like that movie. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Can we do Speed Racer too? Oh, that's one that wouldn't even have even come to mind. Um Gosh, what was the Disney one? It had a guy's name as the title. John Carter. John Carter. Oh, yeah, another infamous miss. That's good. Um, the one with can Johnny we do Depp. The and... one with Johnny Depp as the Indian? Yeah, exactly. I love that movie. It's another classic example. Um, different episode. Yeah. Why these don't I work. like all of those movies. <laughs> <laughs> so we could talk about why they don't work for you and why I like them. I haven't seen any of those movies. <laughs> um, so I have a list of possible top earners. Mm. Um, just kind of, you know, these are going to be coming out before 2019. Just pick five that you think are going to be the top worldwide off the list. Let's take a look here. I think as you already suggested, Fantastic Beasts number two would be high on your list. Mm -hmm. I think it would be mine as well. Looking back at our list of high earners, thus, or no, high earners for all time, Star Wars is one kind of interesting example because it's a very long running franchise, mm-hmm. unlike some of those other ones, um, which I think Fantastic Beasts obviously has going for it. Halloween, I think, will do well. I don't know that I'd put that at the top. I think it could be a sleeper number five. You think? I think that those Halloween movies are really hard to project. Not mm-hmm. just Halloween films with Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, this, but films for the Halloween genre. Mm-hmm. Those October releases that are specifically to scare people and sell tickets to teenagers are very hard to predict. Yeah. Truth or Dare, almost $100 million. Yeah, it's a lot of death. Terrible film. The Nun, terrible film. Gonna break $100 million probably by next weekend. I could easily see the, something like The Grinch doing really well. Um when the fall is so focused on adult fair holiday material for children that could succeed uh yeah it, it's i don't know if it's gonna do most of its damage before the end of the year is the thing that's where it gets mm. interesting like the nutcracker i would almost have pegged for like number four but i don't mm. know that it'll get there um before the end of the year something like venom is very interesting to consider because it is a yep. mature marvel film but yep. it's a marvel film so you know what's its floor something like yeah i think ant-man set the precedent at six hundred thousand or 600 million dollars in earnings yeah um, ant-man and the wasp did this year yeah as, like one of the lowest budget budget uh marvel films yeah yeah it's easy to the look at the list scene, sorry. it's easy to look at the list and just think about what these movies will be and then separately just think about which ones are just going to have boatloads of money behind them, and Venom is probably 
one of those. I, th- right? I think it's kind of a safe bet for number three, but what's going to be number two, right? We know what's number one. Yeah. It's it's probably going to be Fantastic Beasts, but where's number two at? Is it is it a sleeper like Creed or or Robin Hood? Something really shiny kind of for the millennial? Yeah. I could easily see Creed 2. I think Michael B. Jordan's uh, riding a wave at the moment. He is. Uh, I, I, th- I do think people will show up for the Black Panther. I do. That is interesting well. to, to consider. And the Ivan Drago. I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but Drago's back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did see that. Um, but yeah, Halloween's interesting. You know, that just uh, sort of depends on release dates, right? If people want to go see a scary movie on Halloween they see a movie called halloween yep. seems like a safe choice it does so we're not thinking that any of the um award season fair is is gonna break it you know uh stars born first man wildlife serenity suspiria burning shoplifters widows the bohemian rhapsody film with rami malik i don't think so I, th- I think some of that marketing might be more specifically targeted for awards audiences mm-hmm. rather than uh a mass market yeah um so i think would limit its upside yeah. um but they're the ones that i'm looking forward to yeah i, I guess like <laughs> darkest hour didn't get extra viewings because gary won the award probably yeah yeah exactly lots to see you do this often dynamic people off the street and forget them you're my first one actually How am I doing? Let's hop over to Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. The Krasinski himself. What'd you think? I thought this was just fine. I thought this was exactly what I was expecting. I think it executed. It did not bring anything to the table that really surprised me, but I believed John Krasinski as Jack Ryan. I... I'm not quite sure why this would strike a chord with the culture at the moment, but um, can imagine it finding an audience nonetheless that will stick with it. I think it's particularly acceptable, and I think that the audience that you can't find is an audience that you uh, maybe don't tap into. Um, mm. the, the same veins of appreciation, which would be middle America. Yeah, 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 that's, right. that's possible. Jack yeah. Ryan is, is bound up in baseball and uh, being a good guy and asking a girl out on a date and making sure that her yeah. dad won't hate him if he does. You know, it's it's just this really simple, classical American kind of 1920s feel to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think everyone was kind of wondering, like, can John Krasinski play the leading man role in an action series? I thought he was fine. I did not have yeah. a problem with it. I, I thought the sensibility carried over nicely, actually. It's not an action series to me yet, either. You see one I'm, more episode, I'm two but... episodes in, but it's still not an action series. It's a, it's a series where actions are taken, and it's a man who doesn't want to act being driven to. Mm. I think that's why it's good, almost. Yeah, almost good. <laughs> being dragged into something he Gotta does be... not necessarily want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I like how he's always wearing his bulletproof vest. Mm. He he's always um, more likely to not shoot than to shoot. Mm. You know, the, these things make him more um, believable or make the world more believable to me. 
mm. that that these deaths come as accidents and that they actually um, cause people to behave differently. But mm. as as you yeah. get further in, there's more of these deaths that don't really pay off anywhere. They're just kind of shock and awe. Yeah. Um, and then I, I accidentally saw a trailer somehow for um, Jack Ryan that ends up showing things that are going to happen way later in the series. Mm. That kind of ruined it for me. Oh, that's I was like, not fun. these characters come together that's and he's cool. the hero? This is terrible. <laughs> that's not So I'm kind of great. disillusioned with the show. Uh, I, mm. I don't think I'm going to continue it. Um, yeah. But I, I see its global appeal that Amazon it pursued and delayed to, mm. to get. I yeah. I don't exactly know the release strategy, but I know that they spent, I think it was either 8 or $10 million per episode. Yeah. Um, and it shows. I think I think the production value is apparent. Um, I don't know if that's like I don't know if I don't that's know if like it's a critique or a thing. Apparent. Not you so know much. what I mean? Like yeah. a, a quiet place was fifteen million bones, and I think that's a lot better than two episodes of this is. Yeah, uh, but if you're coming to see explosions, you get explosions. Um, yeah, but not not that great of explosions like i'd put up mm. armageddon's explosions from 20 years mm. ago against these yeah not didn't like the carpet bombing at uh no i, I didn't of episode um one. i i don't know if it's because of the color thing or not ah yeah but i it looks particularly cg to me mm. it's it looks like a tv effect i watch a fair amount of television though so i yeah i do make distinctions between a television explosion and a non-television explosion and i, mm. I think something like Tropic Thunder makes that very apparent where they're making fun of explosions. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, did you watch Homeland at all? I love Homeland. You did? I did. So, like, I keep hearing people talk about Jack Ryan in relation to Homeland, right? I if, was thinking if, about that earlier Yeah, today. if if Lord of the Rings is, you know, an attempt to pull audiences who are interested in something like Game of Thrones, Jack Ryan is an attempt to pull audiences who are interested in something like Homeland. Um that's a terrible decision because Homeland barely has a big enough audience to keep going every year. Yeah, it's Showtime, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think you know the story of uh, Middle Eastern conflict is something that's just a real. That the zeitgeist is really craving at the moment. Um, I don't think that most people where we live are craving it. Yeah, but I don't yeah. know. That's true. Because we don't live in Middle America. We're not tapped into those venues yeah yeah um and i mean uh, shit dude operation red sea mm. china did big business uh 500 million dollars of american usd uh murdering the middle east in a propaganda film essentially yeah yeah i mean like before even kind of like diving into the particulars of the series like one thing we haven't really talked about like at the outset of some of these movies or series is just like whether or not these are stories that we even want to hear regardless of how well executed they are um when there are well, it's so many stories out there i don't know that this would be at the top of my list well when you say if it's a story you want to hear i i personally have kind of an oscillating um tone of what i like to take in i, I mm. go through phases where i'll i'll read way too much for six months at a time and, and finish more books in that six months than I will in another year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll do the same with television or, or film. So I'll, I'll go in these stages and, you know, maybe I don't particularly want them 
crazy rich Asians right now. Mm. But maybe in a year when I'm stressed out and I just want something to chill back, relax, listen to music and look at food and yeah. kind of understand the story, I will want that. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I will want the Meg when I'm raising a four-year-old and at the end of my rope and on three hours sleep. Maybe I will want Jack Ryan when I... Maybe I would want Jack Ryan if I didn't have the time to become familiar with these situations, both um, abroad and at home, and, and how these interactions are happening um, in my free time. I have that yeah. free time. I'm, I'm fairly caught up on, on exactly what's happening uh, at a homeland security level um, nationally and abroad with where these ideas are in their scriptures and why they're doing these things and what the backbone reasonable reasons are. So I, a question like that is hard for me mm to grapple with yeah yeah it's not broadcast television where you have to wait for reruns it's not a theatrical release where you got to catch it while you can it's on there for whenever you want it so when people decide this is what they want to hear they'll watch it um Mm -hmm. i'm not presently terribly interested in this story i don't think but just like you said i mean we change as the content changes so or just we change you know over time regardless of content i mean who knows if it's going to continue to change as rapidly as it is or or if it will begin to die down as globalism begins to settle in and we actually get a better look at these markets yeah right now it's kind of guess and check work i think soon we'll Hmm. have a little bit more legitimate work I, i don't know how much longer netflix cannot be transparent with their earnings reports you know yeah, these types or just of streaming figures yeah um well that that's what i meant by earnings reports mm. you yeah. know streams yeah. versus budget um so i i don't i see my dad or or you know most men over 50 finding this fine because it makes yeah. a compassionate case not a not a terribly humanist case but a compassionate case for people that are victims of american um, drone strikes and mm-hmm. bomb runs, carpet bombings, as you referenced earlier, mm-hmm. and also a guy trying to figure out how to do the right thing without doing the wrong thing, which I think yeah. a lot of Americans gravitate towards, kind of like an Armageddon. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is much less about his physique or his strength or success in the battlefield. You know, John Jack Ryan, in this case, seems to be proving his patriotism through moral courage, mm-hmm. um, which is distinct. I mean, I, you're right. I do think there is an audience who is more interested in that kind of narrative. Um, that's almost more Spielbergian. Um, yes. Um, you know, with something like, uh, it's too big of a leap. I was going to say The Post. You know, this is about people who... I don't think it's um, too big of a leap. You know, who are taking principled stands, and it's about their uh, commitment to their value system rather than their willingness to pull out a gun or something like that. I, I think um, it's, it's an action series. I well, we can do. I guess maybe that's not the right term for you, but um, for a series with lots of action, our hero is not deferring to action necessarily. From mm-hmm. my impression thus far, I, I think that there's a stronger similarity. Um, behind Spielberg's techniques, but I, I do think that it's um, a heroism from the lack of behaving uh, classically heroic. Yeah. And that's what's making him a classic hero. But I think that it's um, uh, iconography, heroic iconography mm. um, that Spielberg uses in the post that also yeah. Jack Ryan's using. So I, I think behind the, the facade of the stories, you know, they're showing us images of kind of classical America in the post. Yeah. And people doing things against the system to be heroes, um, 
in what's his name from uh, the Americans in that ex- expository uh, scene in Spielberg's The Post, where no, he's in Vietnam know. as the war journalist. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Um, and and then in Jack Ryan, we we do have these prequel flashes to someone kind of doing the same thing where someone's dying um in a deplorable manner and it's you know is it the wrong person who knows but even if it's not the wrong person maybe they got the right place does that still mean that this kid should die this is an older idea that's um you know it's been an eagle eye it's it's been in a lot of things and it's still something that's troubling yeah but you don't think you'll stick with it I, I will catch up with it, but I won't catch up with it this year. Yeah, not Taylor's going for a thousand movies this year, and I don't have time for six more hours uh, that I could spend watching shorts to catch up. On you got priorities. Thousand. I, I mm. took the last two days off for movies. Mm. I I got a long week lined up. You got work to do. Closing thoughts? Any uh, or or more thoughts on Jack Ryan? Don't mean to cut you off. Um, I, I don't think I have too many more thoughts on Jack Ryan. Yeah. I think that your Spielberg comparison is interesting, though, just because of uh, Krasinski as a performer, I think, in his tone mm-hmm. is similar to Spielberg's tone in, with his lens. I, I yeah. think that's kind of an interesting comparison to think about. And also, I, I'd like to see them team up. Oh, I could totally see that. Once he's you would have fit Wars. in in the post just fine. Oh, he could have been the post. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the newspaper. I'm John Kaczynski. Uh, would you like some paper for your newspaper from Dunder and Mifflin? <laughs> yeah, I mean, could is he? Is there something like Tom Hanks about him in a way? There is. Yeah, yeah. It's that goddamn American approachability. Yep. Just normal guy. So let's get to consensus rankings. Yeah. Let's do it. The Meg. Two point seven five. Three from me. Two and a half from you. Crazy Rich Asians. Right down the middle. 2.5, baby. Line drive. Two and a half from each of us. Avengers Infinity War. Three. Consensus rating. I gave it a four. You gave it a two. I will. I think the listeners will be interested to hear if that changes as you watch other films and begin to contextualize some of these ideas that are in the film. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Armageddon. You had a 3.5. Mm-hmm. I have a four. 3.75 pretty close i think that's gonna be our highest rated film armageddon a michael right. bay movie is our highest rated movie this week Whoa. that will never happen again unless we watch <laughs> alcatraz or the rock against like three bad movies probably <laughs> uh, i was then, not expecting to be a pro michael bay podcast but here we are we're the bays of bay <laughs> that's us uh jack ryan episode one we each gave it a three yeah it's rolling with the three it is just fine so um i guess that's the end of globalism um hopefully we'll have more to talk about referring to this episode moving forward as award season rolls around and we see how awards nominations and considerations play into how these films perform um and and whether or not they have a gain in traction yeah. Like like I referenced earlier, Manchester by the Sea, I think, is one of the most interesting cases of a film that would have made $20 million making a boatload more than it would have because yeah. of its nominations and considerations. Yeah. And then, you know, the opposite with Ghost Story. Here yeah. after. <laughs> yeah, I thought this was going to play a role in any conversation we had about a most popular film category until I learned that they have nixed that category they have after nixed all. That category so, for this year. Yeah. 
Yeah. So who knows? We'll They'll see. come up with some other, you know, bizarre toys. We, we can play a fun end of the game year if mm-hmm. we have the time. But yeah. I, I think that we'll be busy explaining our uh, top ten films of the year and trying to have a three-way tie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, we have been uh, less focused on uh, blockbusters of these sorts thus far, so this is a nice uh, way to contextualize what yeah. we'll be Especially talking about for the rest forward, of the year. Since we're yeah. not going to get back to blockbusters probably for another three weeks, I would assume, unless we yeah. want to count The Predator as a blockbuster. Which it might be. That'd be nice for Shane for Black. For the month it's coming out in, it's certainly the blockbuster so far. of its time. Yeah. Yeah. Unless White Boy Rick overperforms. Who knows? Always a chance. White Boy Rick, let's do this. So you want to tell the audience what's on tap next week? Next week, we will be reviewing The Predator, the new release in the franchise, as well as the original Predator with Schwarzenegger himself, as well as... A Simple Favor with Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively against the classic film from Steven Soderbergh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, as well as... Brian De Palma's film Dressed to Kill, HBO anthology Room 104. From the Duplass brothers. And Dressed to Kill is going to continue kind of a small vein we have of De Palma. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a little excited about De Palma at the moment, so I thought it'd be fun I am to, too. to run with him. I, yeah. Once we're done, we'll get back over to Malik like we'd always originally intended, but I think there we, we might go on our De Palma run for a little bit here. Let's keep it going. All right. Well, this has been Drink in the Movies, Episode 7. With Taylor. And Michael. We'll see you next week. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. Nailed it. Did you get it? Get what? Did you just kill a bunch of people? Not cool.